I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. Okay, dads, this is my third collection of Navy SEAL interviews, and boy, do I have some pipe hitters in this podcast for you to enjoy. Many of my listeners know just how much I honor and respect the frogmen who are on the top tier of the greatest military power in the world. I have been blessed through this podcast to interview some really amazing dads from all walks of life, including NFL Hall of Famers, dads who are A-list actors, best-selling authors, politicians, top-shelf entrepreneurs. But the ones that I enjoy the most are my conversations about fatherhood and family life with the former members of the United States Navy SEALs. Their mindsets are incredible, their philosophies are intriguing, and their bravery is unmatched. But to hear these warriors and combat veterans talk about being dads is really something special. It's a real human side of these almost uh, superhuman men. God always comes first in my life, and my family is my world, but I am a damn proud American, and I am grateful for the men and women who protect my freedom both here and overseas, and I'm just astonished by the fact that guys like this even exist and that they're on our side. Uh, I am very humbled and honored to have had so many of them on my show here. So in this collection, you'll be hearing just the interview portion of the episodes that I did with three former members of SEAL Team 6, Clint Emerson, Dom Rosso, and Craig Sawyer. Then you're going to hear from the SEAL who trained and continues to train the K-9 Warriors, Mike Ritland. And to finish it off, you will hear from the lone survivor of Operation Red Wings, Marcus Luttrell, who joined me on the podcast with his wife, Melanie. So let's jump right into the action here and get things started with the DevGrew operator who wrote a book called 100 Deadly Skills, Clint Emerson. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a first class father. He spent more than 20 years serving as a United States Navy SEAL. He even served on the most elite special operations force on the planet known as DevGrew or SEAL Team 6. He is a best-selling author of 100 Deadly Skills. It is a tremendous honor for me to say Clint Emerson, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you, buddy. All right, let's start it off here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I've got one daughter and she is 14. Okay, what type of sports or activities is she into? She's a competitive cheerleader um, and then also a sideline cheerleader at high school. Very cool. All right, Clint, please take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a retired Navy SEAL. I was, I did uh, 21 years, uh, both coasts, both West Coast and East Coast. I had the opportunity of working at theater-level SEAL teams and then also national-level SEAL teams. Um, and I've been retired now for about three and a half years and now a crisis management professional, which basically means I, I work with a lot of businesses, um, you know, giving them the proper best practices so that they're better prepared and react to today's myriad of threats. That's everything from active shooter to cyber threat awareness. And, uh, and then on the, the consumer side, a hundred deadly skills is, basically the same thing, but done in a more creative, entertaining way so that the average person can also have great skills or best practices that they could use 
against uh, crisis in all of its different forms, done in a manner with uh, illustrations and narratives, and those books have, uh, have done really well. Yeah, I love the book, Clint. We're going to get to that in just a minute here. But I guess the best way to handle conflict would be to avoid it. But I know that that is not always realistic. So what advice do you have for the father or the parent out there whose kid comes home from school and says he's being made fun of, he's being picked on, or he's being bullied? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, bullying and media have, I think, has increased the awareness, which is good. Um, You know, a lot of kids out there are... uh, you know, it's a trophy world. Everyone gets one, right? And then uh, that's one way of uh, they've, they've tried to, I think, lessen the, uh, you know, from one kid standing out more than another or the, the bigger issue is the kid who doesn't win anything. But, you know, that's – I'm more old school. You know, there's winners and losers in life. You know, it's something I preach to my daughter. And um, you've got to always to, you know, always aspire to uh, – drive everything to the finish line the best you can and don't worry about what's going on around you. Um, you know, and then those that target you because of your weaknesses or they feel like you're vulnerable, um, you know, I tell her all the time, you know, don't, you know, don't ever instigate anything, but uh, don't put up with anything either. Um, and if it's something that's ongoing, then, you know, you can get your friends, they can get uh, adults involved, teachers authorities, you know, depending on what level of school they're in these days, um, and put that person in check and don't wait. You know, as soon as it happens, get it done so that it doesn't drag on. Um, But it takes, you know, some serious open communication between you and your kids in order to even get to the point where you know about it. So I'm pretty much an open book with my daughter. Um, Any bad decisions I've ever made, she knows about, and all along with the good ones. And because I show my vulnerabilities to her, she's willing to show hers to me. Um, so she tells me everything. So if there is something screwy going on in school with someone else or a teacher, then I'm usually the first one to hear about it. And so that's really the goal is how do you get your kids to communicate to you what's going on in their lives so that you can help them. And um, I stress the word help because sometimes that can turn into embarrassment, and that's why that communication piece is so important because you don't want to go to school and do something and react like like a, a good parent usually does, but in the end it ends up actually making it worse for the kids. So, you know, open communication beginning to end I think uh, helps solve a lot of those outside problems because your kids will know that they have the confidence in, in you as a parent um, that you're going to be there for them and, and do the right thing. Well said, Clint. And one thing that you said there really uh, is a common denominator with most of the dads that I get on the podcast. They are completely against the every kid gets a trophy philosophy. And I guess I understand the premise behind it, but I think it ends up doing so much more harm than good. And not just for the individual, but for the whole culture itself. And I think we really need to get that idea out of our society. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's breeding like this entitlement issue that we're seeing and if you hear about it with millennials, I don't really experience it because I don't work with millennials, nor is my daughter. So um, all I know is, you know, raising her, I make her responsible for, you know, incrementally as she's gotten older, more and more responsibilities in her life so that she knows she has to earn it. It's not just given. All right, Clint, I know as a Navy SEAL, you are super observant. So what kind of tips do you have for the dad out there who is walking the street in the city with his family? What could he be looking out for to try to identify threats? 
Um, that's a big one. We, we usually we near we, we kind of call it situational awareness, and situational awareness tends to be an overused term and under leveraged skill because of technology. You know, we've got our phones. Our kids have their phones. Everyone's walking down the street on their phones. Uh, driving down the street, they're on their phones. At the restaurant, they're on their phones. If you just look around, there's very few people actually paying attention anymore, and that's what gives you know criminals or even even that person texting that jumps the curb and runs over people, it gives everyone uh, an opportunity to be a threat or get away with whatever it is they're planning. So um, I always tell people observations are no good unless they're anchored to knowledge, experience, or your gut instinct. But in it, but observation can't happen if you've got your head down. So. You know, number one, you got to start looking around. You hear it all the time, but very rarely do people actually do that. And when you do look around, you have to ask yourself, what are you looking for? Our brains are not computers, so they can't collect all the information in the environment and then aggregate it like a computer does. So our brains are organic, and so you have to, like, tell it, tell yourself, or ask yourself, what is it that I'm actually looking for? And your environment dictates that, right? So if you're walking down the street in an urban environment, lots of cars, lots of buildings, lots of people, well, now you know, all right, right off the bat, I'm looking for people that are paying attention to me. That's kind of concerning. I'm paying attention to the vehicles, making sure they're not accidentally running over me or running over me. Um, And then... When you're surrounded by buildings, you have a ton of exit strategies. It could be an exit strategy inside. It could be outside. It could be around the corner. It can be down an alley. It can be upstairs, downstairs. Um, So right off the bat, in that environment, you're asking yourself, what is it that I really need to be looking for right now? And then answer those questions and then run scenarios, you know. So what ifing is a great thing to do with your kids. You're sitting at dinner, put the phones away, and say, all right, let's say a bad guy comes in here right now. What are we doing, kids? And then they have a conversation about it, you know, and they can have almost in that conversation, which can be made somewhat fun, they're coming up with a plan that they could execute later if it actually unfortunately comes, you know, comes to reality or fruition. So, um, you know, that's just that's just kind of hitting the surface, and that's it's a lot of what I do for a living. Awesome. That's great advice right there, Clint. One thing that I know many parents are struggling with is disciplining their kids because uh, in today's culture, uh, any kind of hard-nosed discipline is referred to as child abuse. So so many parents are afraid of disciplining their kids, especially in public. Um, I know in order to be a frogman, it requires a, a great deal of discipline, but how are you or what type of disciplinarian are you as a father? Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm a believer in you know praise in public and you know, punish in private. Uh, I think that's part of building trust um, with your kids, you know, because if you do something out in the open in front of everyone, for me, it's not about whether someone's going to think I'm beating my kid. I don't, I don't, I don't really care that much about what people think, but, you know, building trust means, Hey, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to uh, make you feel like a fool or any of that kind of stuff. And when you punish in public, even when you at a young age, it, it, it can create a trend. At least that's what I feel. So 
you know, my disciplinary stuff is, it's stern, rigid, but it starts with, you know, building a routine early. So my daughter gets up when I get get up at, you know, 5, 5.30. And, you know, she's doing all the same stuff I'm doing. And she knows I'm downstairs doing it while she's upstairs doing it. So there's almost like this, even though as an individual we're doing our own thing, but it does feel like this team environment because we kind of meet in the middle for breakfast and we know that we've both gotten some tasks accomplished before the day even started. And we've been doing that for a long time. And then I feel like once she's, now that she's kind of been programmed to have a routine, then that self-discipline piece has kicked in now that she's 14 and she gets things done and doesn't really have to be told to do it. You know, of course, every now and then teenagers get distracted and they leave something laying around or whatever. That's always there. And so I am, I feel like I'm there to be the reminder, but discipline is certainly the, the best tool or skill you can give your kids. It's the one thing that will allow them to finish tasks, finish school, finish degrees, um, finish any project that they start because you've, if you instill that discipline, I think people think discipline is about spankings and, and yelling and screaming, but the reality is it's, it's all about um, integrating a, a, a routine and getting that routine fine-tuned to the point where a lot of the things you want your children to do becomes muscle memory because you just do it over and over and over again. And that repetition and redundancy creates a really self-disciplined kid. And then the only thing I'll end it with with this is I think people forget we are raising adults. We're not raising children. And a lot of people think, oh, I gotta, I'm raising a child. No, you're, no matter what the age of your kid is, you're, we are raising adults. And so you have to remember that when you're, um, when you're talking to them and the things you tell them and, the, and how you coach them. Wow. Yeah. Very well said, Clint. I love that perspective. Uh, another thing that's challenging or, or a difficult thing facing parents is the technology. And let's face it, the smartphone could be either a gold mine or it can lead to disaster. Uh, the internet and all that stuff that goes with it, it's a double-edged sword. So what advice do you have for parents out there about how to handle technology, social media, and all that stuff with their kids? Um, God, there's a, there's a lot of answers to that on varying directions. So I'll say, you know, threat-wise, Right off the bat, there's parental guidance on everything now. Everything from your 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 Amazon Fire Stick to your to all the way down to your phone. So anything that's coming up on you know on on the television all the way to what's on their mobile devices, um, take the time, go into the settings, and you know put the parental guidance on there and monitor, monitor, monitor. Especially when it comes to this more social media platforms where um, the parental guidance stuff is either kind of lacking or the kids know how to get around it. So you have to physically get on that phone and look at what's going on. Um, as far as, you know, tracking, turn all that, uh, turn all the tracking off inside the apps, but allow your phone, the phone to be found. Um, so you mean, basically what that means is you don't need all the marketing information and data that, that the apps collect, you know, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all of those. Anytime there's location settings inside of the app itself, turn those off. But allow the phone to still be found. That way, if something goes sideways in that child's life, whether it be a predator or they get lost, that phone then becomes a lifeline. But you don't want the phone to also 
be the threat that gives up all of the identity and information on that child as well. So I always tell people, anytime your kids are setting up accounts, doing stuff, you know, stay away from, you know, true name. Come up with your own little fun pseudonyms and aliases. Um, of course, passwords are huge. So um, anytime the username can be – everyone should treat their username like a password. Uh, make it something unique. Make it something different that you can remember. Um, and then, of course, have a strong password. And that password should be, these days, 24 characters or longer. Now, that sounds crazy. Um, but the way these bot attacks that have been um, everything from China to Russia, it's, it's these bot attacks will basically run all the characters that are on a keyboard, which is approximately 500 and growing, um, in like seconds, right? So they'll just run through all 500-plus characters over and over and over and over and over again to try and figure out the password. And then when they can't get in, then they, they after 15 minutes or so, they tend to go away or whatever the programmer designed them to do. Um, so the intent is, is 24 characters or more would take an NSA supercomputer years to break your password. And so when encryption is, uh, you know, not available and you're really truly relying on passwords, especially it relates to social media and stuff and, your, and all of that important information that we keep on phones, especially if it's your kid's phone, um, then make your password nice and long because it's time. It's time on target that you're increasing for the predators and eventually they'll give up because 24 characters, I mean, that's huge. But... It's real simple. You can probably type three to four words, random words, quicker than a password that has all kinds of capital, uh, special characters, this, this, and that. Um, you can type three or four just plain Jane words like ninja ice cream upside down, right? Your fingers automatically will type that much faster than, you know, two, five, you know, capital M-A, you know, lowercase, whatever, blah, 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 you know. Um, so it's not as bad as it sounds when you say 24 characters on a password. I kind of went down a rabbit hole, but, yeah, there you go. Man, that's very insightful, Clint. Uh, I've got a lot of work to do after this conversation because I'm uh, most of my passwords, I'm like the guy from Spaceballs there with the 12345 passcode. So uh, I, I got I got to change a few things around. But another thing I talk about on the podcast quite a bit is that it seems like to me that there's an attack on the family life in this country, uh, especially fatherhood through the movies, TV, and media. Uh, so I, many of the young men that I talk to, they have this outlook on fatherhood and family life like it's something that they want to avoid, not something that they want to embrace. So I think it's important for them to hear highly successful people like yourself. Uh, you've been a Navy SEAL. You've been all around the world. So how did becoming a father change your perspective on life? Um, you know, it's uh, you, one, I mean, for, a, for anyone who lives in like a high-risk profession, as soon as you have a kid, you all of a sudden you know, become concerned about your own life. <laughs> so, whereas up till that point, you don't really care. Um, you know, that every jump out of an airplane before I had uh, my daughter, every deployment I did before I had her, um, and any of the high-risk training stuff, you you really just, you just go and you don't think. Um, and once you have, once you have a kid, then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. You know, I don't want 
I, mean, I definitely don't want her growing up without me, and I don't want to miss out. You know, the selfish side of me is like, I don't want to, you know, miss out on all the good things that um, she'll be doing as she grows up. So it's um, it, it's it's definitely a changer, um, and I think it's a it's it's important that you know when something like that happens, you've got to you know you got to take the responsibility, be a dad, and uh, make make changes where you can make them. Um, for the better and for the greater good so that you're, so that you're home and that you're available and that you're there because whether it's a boy or a girl, they all need their dads. It's been proven time and time again. You look at the prison system and it's a lot of people that just didn't have a father, uh, influencing them as they grew up. And, you know, the statistics are there, the numbers are there. And so you kind of have to listen to that, um, and be the dad that you're supposed to be from beginning to end. And, for me, you know, um, after 21 years in the SEAL community, you know, half of that time I missed with my daughter. So it was important for me to get to the retirement finish line and get out. And now um, we spend, you know, as much time as possible, um, you know, since I've been retired or towards the end of my career and since I've been retired um, and then now it's all about, you know, influencing and, being a uh, positive role model uh, every minute. All right, very cool. Clint, please take a minute here now to tell my listeners a little bit about your book, 100 Deadly Skills, why you decided to write it, and where they can go and buy it. Sure, 100 Deadly Skills really is a playbook on how to defeat different threats. Um, It is written for the average person, giving good people bad guy or predator skills to use against them, um, and it's, uh, it's illustrated, which makes it even easier to, uh, to be entertained, also be informed. Um, and it's available pretty much where books are sold. Uh, but the easiest obviously is Amazon these days. And there's two books. The first one is all about defeating bad guys. The second one is all about defeating the different kinds of crisis that are out there. Everything from natural disaster to medical events to even some cyber stuff. But it's all done in a very informative, entertaining way. The illustrations were done by a guy that does all the storyboarding for Walking Dead and Breaking Bad. So if you're fans of that, then you'll love the illustrations. Okay, I will be including a link in the description of this podcast episode so my listeners can just tap the link, get over there, pick up a copy. Uh, So what's next for you, Clint? You've accomplished so much in your life. What are your goals or your plans for the future? What's coming next for Clint Emerson? Um, 2019 um, is going to be a pretty good year. We got for Escape the Wolf, my crisis management company. We're releasing a new product so that every business can protect themselves and don't have to, you know, do the tailored video or e-learning. And we've got a we've got a package that we're putting out. And then, um, then I've got another book coming out in October 2019. Uh, it's called The Right Kind of Crazy. Uh, it's not ready for pre-order, but the description is on Amazon. Um, and as uh, and as that thing, we'll start building up on that. And then, you know, for the long for the long haul, it's uh, it's all about continuing to give people, uh, you know, good best practices through different platforms so that they can uh, get more self rescue oriented and be more self reliant. That's my overall goal in life: just make people look out for themselves and don't rely on nine one one all the time. That's great stuff. All right, last thing I'm going to hit you with here. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? 
Um, pretty simple. Be there. Be present. Um, be in the moment um, from beginning to end of, of every day. And uh, be all ears, you know. Be good, you know, in the spy world, it's called elicitation. It's 90% ears, 10% talk. You'd be surprised how well that works um, when you're raising uh, a boy and especially a little girl. Awesome. Well said. Uh, I love the message. Uh, this has really been an honor for me. Uh, so I got to say, Clint Emerson, thank you so much for your service. And thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I hope that all the dads get something from this. All right. I'll be right back after a quick spot. NFW Watches. First Class Fatherhood has proudly partnered with NFW Watch Company, and now you could take advantage with this exclusive offer. NFW Watch Company was founded on making badass watches that help people, mostly veterans. Get over to nfwonline.com, and listeners can save 15% off their entire order, plus get free domestic shipping by entering the promo code FATHER at the checkout. NFW Watches, made by a badass with a big heart nfwonline.com and use the promo code father bucks all right joining me now is a first class father he is a combat veteran who served 12 years with the elite u.s navy seal teams including time with the ultimate fighting force seal team six he is a warrior for christ and an all-american hero it is my honor to say dom rosso welcome to first class fatherhood thanks man it's great to be on all right, let's do this. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? So I have four kids, and obviously that's become quickly the most important thing in my life. They are, I have a boy, girl, boy, girl. That's the order we have them in. So my oldest is nine. I have a daughter that's six, and I have a son that's two, and then I have another daughter that was born not too long ago. She's six months. Wow, congratulations on the new one. That's awesome. It's awesome, man. It's 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 my favorite thing in the world to do and to be with them. You know, you quickly realize as a father that there is no more important job than raising good people in the world. You know, and you see it's your opportunity to make the world such a better place, you know. And I always reflect on, especially lately, is, is the quote from Mother Teresa. She's like, if you really want to change the world, go home and love your family. And there's no better statement than than really embracing the fact that you have right there at your fingertips, the opportunity to change the world. And so many people miss that, and they think that, you know, that they leave the house and they're busy. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you, you see my lifestyle. It's, I, I want to make an impact in so many different areas that God's calling me to. But at the end of the day, your biggest impact and your biggest opportunity is to set the foundation for those little people that are going to become leaders on their own. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Dom. What type of sports or activities are the kids into? You know, it's funny, uh, lately, you know, one of the biggest things is people want to ask, like, what, what sports do your kid play? And I didn't actually grow up at that early of an age getting into sports. You know, it seems like a cookie-cutter thing to do, and no offense to any parents that, you know, take that very seriously, but it seems like a very cookie-cutter thing for our culture, like grab them, put them into a sport, grab them, put them into school, grab them, put them into college, and it's like this, our culture kind of says that it's supposed to be this way. And I think sports are great, but I also think that there's a very, very, very real awareness that parents have to have about dropping your kids off with somebody that has views that aren't aligned with the way that you see their future. And one comment, one statement, one experience 
can change a kid's life forever. I know it from personal experience. We all do. I mean, nobody, nobody can sit here and lie and say that they haven't had something from a young age affect their whole thought process forever. And I think it's important to be – that's more important to me than just being like, hey, uh, he's not in a sport. I've got to get him into football or something. So for me, to answer the question is that I take them with me to work. I train them every week on combatives, awareness. You know, we're very, very active. We get out of the house. We go to the beach. We're in the water. Uh, we're swimming. We're working out together as a family. We're playing football. I mean, we are active. But I'm very, very careful about who I send my children to to guide them and to lead them on a daily basis. So that is very important to me, and I've just seen some damaging things happen to kids. So that kind of triggered that 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 answer to make sure I, I brought that up because I think that parents have to have an awareness. You have to be very, very – I would vet people that you your kids are hanging around with to the nth degree to make sure that you're not exposing them to something that is going to change their life forever. Yeah, I think that's important what you're saying there, Dom. It seems like today we try to simulate the scenarios for our kids. I've fallen into that trap myself. I had my kids uh, playing soccer at four years of age. And, and when I was a kid, you know, we just played with the other kids in the neighborhoods. We didn't have coaches or parents or refs. The older kids kind of watched out for the younger kids. And instead of allowing our kids to do that, we kind of simulate it as we do with their friends. We organize their play dates and all that. So uh, it's definitely uh, a different atmosphere. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean... Again, I'm taking a very holistic and, and organic approach. I mean, we homeschool. I mean, our approach is much, much, much different than most people. And I would challenge everybody to, to make sure that they're putting that as a priority and making really good decisions with their kids. And all those things that we try to recreate, <clears throat> you know, I've learned a lot from my son because nobody writes a book for your life and how your circumstances are supposed to uh, be a father. You know, you, nobody hands you that. So you have to figure it out along the way. And I've seen things in my son that I tried to implement early on. You know, I'm a Navy SEAL. I've been friggin' hunting bad guys my whole career. And I got out, and I know the evil in the world. I know the circumstances, and I know the consequences. So right away, right out of the womb, I was like, all right, I got to be hard on him. I got to make sure that he's doing the right things. And, you know, he is going to be better for all those. But I've also seen things that I tried to implement at an early age that didn't come to fruition. I was like, oh, I put a lot of effort here, but it didn't click like I thought it was. Why? Because he didn't have the discernment or the reasoning to understand right from wrong at certain points in his life. You know, one of the examples I always talk about is, you know, firearm safety. When do you teach your kid about firearm safety? Well, I'm telling you right now, there's no age on that. There's no, there's no age on anything in life. It's just a number. And you have to make sure that they have the capacity and the discernment to know what is what. If they can't connect reality or know the why behind what they're doing and learning, then it's not going to be as effective. And that, that, that goes with anything that you do. Firearms, right from wrong, interacting with people, making decisions, communication. If, they can, if you can't see that they're getting the why, then they're not ready to push the limits on that specific subject. So, you know, we, every kid is going to be different, and everybody's got their own unique aspect to them, and I've learned that a lot too. I mean, they do get a lot from us, but I also think it's, it's important to assess as they go, and as they, as they develop, you find different areas to push them. I mean, we always have guidelines that we have as innate as human beings, but at the same time, you know, I think assessing them as they, as they go along and they grow is very important. I mean, trust me, I push my kids, I challenge my kids every step of the way. Uh, there's, there's different phases right now. Like, there's different points that I'm really working on and when they're this young, 
I really like to grab on the one thing until I see that starting to come to an effect. Like right now, my son and I are working on trust. And little kids like to lie about little things. You know, they like to just kind of manipulate the truth and, and throw it out there. And I'm trying to make him understand how important the trust between a father and a son and just a family in general is. And he'll throw out these little white lies. So right now, I'm very, very hyper-focused on making sure every day we make one step forward with that trust. And and last night, it was perfect. I walked in, and I was like, all right, buddy, he's asking me if I come. he's coming to work with me tomorrow, which is today. And I was like, all right, well, let me walk through all the things. Did you read your honor code in the morning? Yes. Did you crush your schoolwork? Yes. Did you help mommy? Yes. Did you help your sister? Yes. Did you work on your attitude? Yes. I was like, did you work out? He's like, well, you know, I kind of didn't work out. But you know what? I did some more push-ups after you left. He's like, you know, you know what? I, I, I didn't do push-ups. And you know what? I'm starting to lie. I'm sorry. And I was like, boom, win. Celebration. Awesome. High five. Gave him a hug. I was like, that's what I'm talking about right there. You caught yourself. And in the moment, you were able to redirect your energy to do the right thing. I mean, talk about, like, being a happy father. I was like, those are the small moments, and I really do believe that being a better father in the relationship with your family is one in those small moments. And that was a victory for us. So really honing in on that one thing and pushing forward. But, you know, doing that with each one of the kids is, is what's really going to start driving and developing and them in, in every way. Well said. Yeah, and that, that's amazing, Dom, to have them uh, watching their thoughts and paying attention to their intentions at such a young age. That's incredible. Um, please, Dom, take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and when fatherhood came into the picture for you. Yeah, for sure. So uh, fatherhood came into the picture for me at a young age. You know, I remember staring at my dad in the face. I'll never forget it. We were laying in the back of a car, staring up at the, at the sky. You know, we were, uh, it was a day fishing out in the boat, long day, got done. We're at the marina staring up the sky, and I remember just asking my dad, I was like, Dad, I was like, how did, how, how did you be such a good father? Like, what did you do to raise me? You know, because I want to do the same thing to my son. You know, and I remember reflecting on that, being like, I feel good in this moment about where I'm at with the relationship with my father. So I was like, how do I duplicate that? So even in that micro moment, for me, it was like things are going well, and there's, there's good, bad, and different challenges. And I remember wanting to take that and duplicate it. I mean, I must have been like eight or nine years old, but... It started for me at an early age. I think my father had a huge influence into who I've become. And developing that along the way, I mean, my dad did everything he could to make sure that he was there for me, which, you know, strengthened my ability to know that I wanted to become a SEAL one day. And, and I was, I grew up across the street from one of my best friends. You know, we bet each other 100 bucks that we were going to, whoever was a SEAL first would win. And we would hang out with each other, play cops, robbers, you know, manhunt, all that stuff, paintball. And it was a challenge for us. And we always did research on it. And we kind of grew up developing that idea. And I eventually turned into a teenager. And I got lost and confused and hung out with the wrong people. And I ran into some really tough challenges, got kicked out of both of my houses. And I was in a really bad spot, man. I mean, I'm lucky I'm still here in some of the stuff that I, that I was pulling and all of a sudden, one day, I got to the really low, low, and I snapped out of it and was like, what the heck am I doing? i got to follow my career and follow what I always wanted to do in my dream. And I committed to it. I was all in that day. From there on out, I was 17 years old. I remember waking up and being like, I'm going. That's it. And I became a SEAL. I went through BUDS training. I crushed that. I went to SEAL Team 2. I went to Dev Group shortly after that. Uh, I was one of the youngest guys to check into my squadron uh, at the command. And... You know, it's been a it's been a very, very, very impactful and incredible journey that 
it's hard to explain, but the things that I've been exposed to, the places I've traveled, the things that I've seen, and the people I've met along the way have just been pretty uh, amazing. And, and honestly, for me, I've always had a passion in the teams for making something better. And I really gravitated towards gear and equipment, which is why I own a gear and equipment company, uh, Dynamis Alliance and AdaptiveX, both equipment and apparel. And it's a passion for me to give people the best in the world. And, and I always connected with it because, for me, I had to make the best stuff in the world to make sure that everybody else's lives depended on it. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, let's just make something cool. No, every detail mattered because it could have been our lives. And then the other aspect of my career was being a sniper and then really embracing what low-vis combatives meant to me. You know, low-visibility operations and kind of being sneaky, fitting in, and understanding how to manipulate another human being so that you were effective in, you know, that low-vis combat. So any type of manipulation, blade work, pistol work, concealed work, like, it's just my life. It's what I do. It's what I think of all day. And then everything I do coincides with that. So there's a very real need for it out there, the way warfare is evolving. You know, I saw the gaps in my career. So seeing the gaps in my career, I knew if they were there, I could take those gaps and strengthen them even further with more focus and more dedication, which is ultimately how my companies have been born and how Dynamis Alliance got started with saying that I'm going to take these ideas, I'm going to put them into something that I can give to anybody that cares. Good people in the world, good fathers, good families, good people with good intentions and that are doing righteous and just things in the world, like, I want to help you. Like, I want you to be better. And that's my mission in life, you know. And I think it's kind of turned into something uh, much bigger than I thought it was going to. I'm refining every single day. And I'm on a mission to just get the edge. Every every morning I wake up, where do I find an edge? How do I make, make myself better? I've grown and evolved over the past several years more than, like, my wife looks at me every day and she's like, I, like, I never could have, thought that you would have got to where you are now, like just the changes that you've been making for the family to be a better dad, to be a better husband, you know, because I'm constantly challenging myself and questioning, like, is this the best that I can be? Is this the best that I can be for them and the people around me and, and the people in the world? And if, it, if the answer is no, you know, what did Steve Jobs say? If I see the same guy in the mirror over and over again for too long, I know something's going to change, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm the same way is that if I can find an edge, like I'm big into researching, you know, warrior history and faith. And obviously, you know, I'm a very, very strong Christian, and I'm a follower of, of Christ. And that's something that's transformed my life uh, now, which I'm like, we could get into that whole thing. But <laughs> that's very important to me. But I think my journey has been God-driven, no doubt, that I am here for a purpose. Um, I've made an impact in the world that has been I'm extremely humbling, and I've just learned how to do that more and more every day because there's no more fulfillment in the world than helping others. And I think that it's given me the foundation to understand good and bad and evil and good in the world and just, you know, how to how to love people to an extreme that is just making the world a better place. And obviously everything, saying every bit of that, I've taken every bit of those experiences to try to give them to my children. You know, I could be gone tomorrow, so every opportunity that I have to interact with my kids, I try to give them these little tidbits and just the clarity of where life is going to go for them and what they're going to experience to give them a shield and to give them armor to walk into the world, to be good human beings, to love others, and to ultimately understand that, you know, they're they're being called to, to be warriors and leaders in the world too because there's the world needs more of them right now.
Yeah, you have an amazing story, Dom, and I'm so glad that you and the other SEALs are out of the shadows and that the public has some type of access to your mindsets and your character because it's just incredible what you guys are capable of. The material that you guys are putting out there is inspiring, and I wish more people would be following guys like you because there is a ton of poisonous material on social media that can really do damage to a young mindset. Um, I'm a man of faith myself. I'm a faith-based person, and and I'm definitely an amateur when it comes to the Bible. But from what I've read, uh, it seems like in there, in order to aspire to greatness, you need to find a way to serve the many. And that's kind of something that I've just recently started my search to do, find out a way that I can become more of a servant to others. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's it's so crazy when you really think about it. When you people, I I have a message, a couple of messages this morning where people like. you know, how do you define success? How did you get so sex- successful? What's the key thing in success? And and I can't help but to think that I think everybody connects success with money. And the older I get, the more I realize how much BS that is because money has little to no value in our character and our happiness. And the the impact that we can have in the world and the turnaround that we have with understanding really building true character into giving that to other people is like there is no better uh, valuable thing in the world. And I think that when you talk about faith, and that's why I said, you know, I see people broken and I see people lost. And it, and it is very confusing. There is a lot of toxic distractions out there and it's a dangerous world. And when it comes to our kids, they are vulnerable. That's why I said you have to vet everything that they do to make sure that they're living and they're seeing the world through the eyes that you want them to be able to see in. And when it comes down to it, we have to, we have to put our flag in the ground somewhere and we have to make a decision. And for me, after everything that I've seen in the world, after everything that I've experienced, I've come back to the conclusion that if we do not get our foundation straight with faith, with the understanding of what, you know, people call themselves Christians, but I challenge, I've been challenging people on that more and more. And this isn't me judging anybody. It's just me saying, like, look, if this is what you really believe, then you should be living it out in every way possible because it is the only way that we're going to get our kids back on track with understanding what real love means and what real service to other means. Uh, because at the end of the day, the public school system is not going to teach your kids values. And neither is the guy down the street that's lost and confused and has all the money in the world. Like, there's just, what are you picking as the foundation for your kid to, to fall back on? I mean, at the end of the day, I got to look in my kids' eyes and say, listen, kids, Someday I'm not going to be here. But what always is going to be here is for your ability to follow God and follow what Christ is calling you to do. It's, a, it's something that's laid out for you, that is purpose-driven, that is something that you cannot punch holes in, and it is the best blueprint in the world for you to follow. And I am a 1,000% convicted of that, and nobody's going to break me on understanding that is the best-case scenario for anybody, especially my children, to be able to follow a path of, of life and of happiness and joy and impact in the world. I mean, there, I prove it to me. I mean, I will have a conversation with anybody. You know, it's just people fall back on these things that are kind of shallow. They're kind of not very valuable. They're not, they don't really go anywhere. They don't give anybody guidance or anything to, to fall back on. And ultimately, it's just left to everybody's own opinion. And when you do that and you leave it up to everybody's individual ego – it's like, oh, you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, go out there and be free and just figure out what you want in life. And at the end of the day, you get stuck and locked into your own selfish egos and wants and needs, and it's a very shallow place to be because when the going gets tough, you have nothing to fall back on. And that's my fear for kids these days with so much 
confusion and lack of direction is that you're not giving your kid anything solid because you're afraid to be judged by the world about how they're going to perceive you of not letting them do their thing. And it's crazy to me. But ultimately, you know, this is something that I'm strengthening in myself and I, really, I, I believe very, very, very strongly and I think people need to be talking about it more because everybody wants to avoid the conversation. And it's always funny to me because I'm like, well, what do you, what are you really falling back on? You know, what do you really have as a solid foundation in your life? And when you peel back the layers, man, it gets really shallow really quick and you find a lot of brokenness inside of people. And look, I am working on it every single day, but I think it's important to start having the conversation because if you don't really confront it yourself, then you're going to end up lost like everybody else and you're going to be chasing your tail for the rest of your life with all the distractions that the world tries to give you and you're going to get old and you're going to be like, what did I do in life? What impact did I make that I just chased distractions and shallow crap that didn't add any real value to my family and my future? Well said. Yeah, and I've heard it put this way that the ego stands for edging God out. And I think that that's another one of the big problems that we're facing in our society. Along with the attack, I feel there's an attack on the family life, fatherhood in this country through pop culture. There's an attack on God. Uh, God has been removed from the schools. And I'll tell you what, Hollywood, uh, who seems to be omitting God, they, they have a big mouth when it comes to the gun debate, yet they can't seem to make a single movie without gun violence. I mean, even, even the superhero movies that I bring my kids to see, everyone's throwing lead around. So um, I know you're a big advocate for the Second Amendment. Uh, I'm sure you've heard all the cries from La La Land. We're right into the middle of award season, which becomes their political platform. What's the story behind Hollywood with such a, a political agenda uh, coming from what's supposed to be the entertainment industry? You know, I think, I think first of all, just saying the word Hollywood in general, uh, you're already looking for confusion in people that are lost. I mean, I've dealt with some celebrities, and you want to talk about lack of purpose and just living in a complete fantasy world they have no idea what it's like to be some do don't get me wrong some do but a lot of them are lost in a artificial world that is very very confusing and everything's driven by what are you going to do for me and what are you going to make happen i mean it's pretty disgusting actually when you start digging down to it so I think the first problem is just saying Hollywood in general. I wouldn't expect to get any real value out of that. But I, I think that it's, it's up to good people to do the right thing. You know, it didn't, take, it didn't take millions of people to change the momentum of what happened in the war in Thermopylae. It took 300 people to be able to go out there and say, uh, nope, this is wrong, and we believe in real freedom, and we're going to stand up for what's right. I got my armor, my sword, my shield, and a spear, and we're going to change the world. And I think people need to think about that. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what movie you're making. I don't care what your status is in culture. If you don't have a deep-rooted faith in what really needs to happen with the traditions and values that have been put here for us to be able to change the world, then you're not going to get anywhere. So, you know, we can talk about the Second Amendment. We can talk about any of that stuff. But, you know, even fighting for the Second Amendment, I realize, and, I, and I'm really not out there doing anything active right now because I realize something, that it's not about the Second Amendment anymore. Like I always said, the, the NRA was, was uh, you know, they fight for Second Amendment rights, right? That's why, they were, that's why they were stood up. But I always said, it's not about the Second Amendment. It's about all of our rights, and it's about freedom in general. I was like, that's the problem. And I saw that direct fight with everybody in Hollywood, with everybody that's a liberal. The direct fight was not realizing what, why the freedom was so valuable. And it connected itself to everything else. Because most likely if they think that you don't need to have a gun, well, they probably think that you shouldn't be doing something else somewhere in your life too. And it's more of a control thing. 
And when you really strip all that away, it's, I realize that it's less about just the Second Amendment or any of our rights. I mean, you know, we have inalienable rights that were God-given, and that's what we need to be discussing. We need to be discussing those rights. Like, I have the ability to protect myself. Let's have that conversation first, because it doesn't matter what I use or what I decide I need. Like, you do not have control over that in my life. That's my choice, and that's my right, and there's nobody that can say anything different about it. And we just need enough people to be able to stand their ground with real values and foundation to be able to defeat any of that crap. It's all superficial crap. I don't care. People are paying millions of dollars to get these commercials out there, and they're shallow. They're nothing. They, you poke holes in them, and they fall apart. But we need more people that are, are willing to poke holes in them. And I think we just need to have people to have the confidence to stand up and do what's right. And, again, it takes one person at a time, and it just takes doing the right thing. And you do the right thing with the right people, and eventually you get the right results. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder what our society would look like if Hollywood put a ban on gun violence in all of their content and their message became more family-oriented and applauded family values. But since we're on guns, unfortunately, we have seen a rise in school shootings. How do you feel about putting armed guards or police in our school systems? Well, I think anywhere where there's a vulnerability, you know, the first of all, you have to remember that guns are going to exist forever. People and the bad guys are always going to find a way to find a weapon to do something bad. It's evil intention. That's not going to stop. And I've always said, look, I'd rather people know how to use them for the right reasons and not know how to use them at all and run away from a reality that exists that's always going to exist. So first and foremost, there are vulnerabilities, and we have to assess those vulnerabilities. There's always going to be good people, and there's always going to be bad people. That's going to that's going to be here forever. And at the end of the day, you have to put good people in the right positions to be able to defend vulnerabilities. I mean, that's never going to change. And when I look at kids, yes, that is the most valuable thing that we could possibly be protecting. And there's small things that we can do to mitigate that. And if you put me, right, and I know not people, people always argue, like, well, not everybody's you. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But it doesn't take much to become proficient enough to know what to do in a scenario to mitigate risk at a huge level. So I think anywhere that you can put good people to be able to protect that care about innocent lives is a good thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong. There never will be anything wrong with having somebody that would put themselves on the line to protect other people. It's in my DNA. Like, there's so many guys that are warriors out there and sheepdogs and people that just want to do the right thing because that's what we do. We were made to protect each other. We were made, you know, especially as Christians, as the shield of the world. Like, innocent people go behind us, and we put ourselves out in the foreground. You know, we're our enemy that will quickly and without thought put them in front, which is the complete contrast of, of the problem. But at the end of the day, it's, it's protecting and understanding the value of life itself. Like, we've been having that conversation a lot lately, like life and love, like just thinking about life in general. You know, how do we start at a young age understanding the value of life? You know, what's going on with these kids and these people that get these thoughts in their head that think it's okay to take another life, an innocent life? And I think that that's something that's a very real conversation that needs to happen at a very root level. You know, I always, I always look at a problem and I say, okay, well, this is good on the outside. This is what's happening. This is the issue at hand. But let's start dissecting, peeling back the layers, and really get to the root of the problem. And I can take that problem with school shootings and go right back to faith, 
Why are you taking God out of the public school systems? Why are you not teaching kids the values that we've been given for so long to love people wholeheartedly without, without expectations and without uh, the, the need and want for your own needs in life, like literally going out of your way to serve other people out of love. Like that's what Christ teaches. And at the end of the day, without that, you're going to get confused. And you may think it's okay to be like, you know what, taking a life's not a big deal. It's just normal stuff. It happens every day, right? Abortion's fine, so why isn't killing somebody else fine, right? Like it's just, it, you start looking at everything, and I just go right to the core because I'm like, let's attack the real problem. But anyway, to answer your question, I, I get passionate about this stuff, but to answer your question, I absolutely believe I'm putting good people in the right places to mitigate that risk to our most valuable assets. Well said. Yeah, I agree with you there. I have two kids in public school. I have two in Catholic, and I would have no problem with it myself. Um, I know you referenced a Mother Teresa quote earlier there, and I think another one that applies here that I would like to add is, uh, you know, she was once asked if she would attend an anti-war rally. I think it was for Vietnam, and she said no. Uh, but when you guys have a rally for peace, I will be there. And I think it's that, that whole turnaround of the mindset that we need. That The hatred isn't the answer. Love is faith is, and I do have faith that even though there's a lot of negative with this technology, it does give us access to people like you and so many others who are spreading light in this world, and I think as promised, the light will overcome the darkness. It always will. Listen, I, I want to say one thing, because you brought up the technology again, and I think this is really important, because you brought up Hollywood, you brought up technology, and I think you have to realize, like, people run businesses, okay? Media runs businesses, Hollywood runs a business. Everything is based off of your emotion and your response. So, the human emotion is very powerful. And basically, Hollywood and the media and news outlets are controlling your emotion. And you have to think of it like that. Like, you have to think of them controlling your emotion. It took me a long time to get my dad to stop watching the news. He's like, I got to know what's going on in the world. I'm like, I know. That's what they want you to think. <laughs> you know? I'm like, if it's that big of a deal, believe me, you'll hear about it. Like, if it's going to affect you personally, you're going to know it. So your next door neighbor is going to be like, hey, something's happening and we got we got to fix it. But the media in Hollywood and social media is based and built upon controlling your emotions, especially if you have a hard time controlling your emotions. They've got you hooked. So your children and your kids, we have no idea the effect that putting technology in front of them is going to have in the future. We haven't even begun to get any analytics on that. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is extremely damaging to be like, here, here's an iPhone because you won't shut up. Or, you know what, go play video games or go watch whatever. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you, your kids' brains are being developed for the rest of their lives at such an early age. And I want to smack people when I see them do that because, like, you have no idea the irreparable damage that you're doing on your kid's brain. And when you think about Hollywood and all these things, I reject, I reject every bit of it. I don't watch the news. We don't watch TV in my home. I don't watch anything. We do family... Tonight's family movie night. We get one movie a week, and we get excited about it. We pick it together as a team, and we do it together, and it's super fun. We cook pizza. We do stuff in the kitchen, but it's, it's a routine for us. We are excited about that, but everything else is, is not there. I use my computer as a tool. I use my iPhone as a tool to, to communicate to the world positivity and good messages and faith, and everything else is completely cut off in our lives. My kiddos are not allowed to watch YouTube. I will not let, you, let them watch anything uh, but, you know, something about faith-based uh, education. And it, it is extremely important that people recognize the damage that you will do to your kids by just watching a simple YouTube video that's not controlled. I mean, I can click on the 9-11 video to be like, you know what, 
I want to get a little history here about, you know, what happened on 9-11. And then all of a sudden, one video later, I'm watching some con conspiracy theory crap that's trying to fill my feet up with how somebody thinks something else. And, and it's so convincing about how people put stories together now because they know how to control your emotion. And people have analytics and stories and books written about controlling your mind and your emotion. It's like it's all over the place. That's all people care about is how can I get a like? How can I get a, a share? Yeah, we can't forget, too, there are billions of dollars at stake with this. Uh, there are people sitting in a room right now, very smart people, and they are planning the next uh, Candy Crush or the next social media platform uh, to keep you engaged and keep you focused on that phone. And the right one means an astronomical amount of money for them. It's crazy. You know, I've got, I've got, we have marketing plans, right? We sit down and talk about it. We're like, hey, how, what, what's doing good? What's not doing good? But at the end of the day, I believe in our message, and I believe in our, our message is faith and honor-based in everything that we do. I want people to have the right training. I want people to have the right equipment. I want people to be able to engage and be a better human being. Like, I care about people. So if you don't care, if people don't really understand what love means, then they're not going to care about you. And all they care about is the dollar. And it's so funny how things are controlled that way. Most people, when you define success, will say, well, it's the amount of money you have. It's the amount of status you have and blah, 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 blah. You know, and at the end of the day, to me, success is strengthening your worst case scenario in your life. And that's the people that you love. That's the people that are going to be there when you're on your deathbed. That's understanding what your connection is going to be when you leave this world. That's understanding what you have when nothing else is going right for you. And that's what strengthening your worst case scenario is. And it has zero to do with money. My, my worst case scenario, I could take my kids and my wife and go live out in the woods with a tent and live by a stream and we'd be the happiest people in the world because that's all we need. It has nothing to do with money. So money, yeah, it pulls at us and it, and it has a, a big effect in our lives and we want our iPhone, we want our car, we want our shelter, we want our nice food that we want to eat and we don't, when it doesn't work that way, we get upset and angry, but at the end of the day, like, none of that matters. It's, it's strengthening the values of your family and the, the worst case scenario that you have in your life. That's real success. Yeah, I love that. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, all right, Dom, please take a minute to tell my listeners a little bit about Dynamis Alliance, where they can find it and what else you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I own several companies. I own a training company, equipment company, and apparel company. If you go to crusheverything.com, that's going to give you a great start. You know, it's a lifestyle for us. This is, people look at, at the website sometimes and they're like, well, I don't really know what you guys do. And I'm like, well, that's because it's a lifestyle. I want you to train. I want you to have the right equipment. I want you to have the right mindset. So crusheverything.com, they can find a lot of information there. And we just launched a brand new brand, an apparel brand. So if you like badass clothes that are made by Tier 1 operators and guys that have been overseas and done that and it's all made in the USA, then this is the brand for you because ultimately it's, it's the baddest stuff out there and we're just getting started. The momentum's awesome. And, you know, our margins suck, but you know what? We believe in what we're doing. And I believe in USA manufacturing to help give back to the people that, you know, have given us – <clears throat> the freedom and the foundation that we have here, and I, I want to strengthen it as much as possible. So AdaptiveX.com, that's adaptive with no E, X.com. Then they can go there and check it out, and, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of cool stuff in the works. So the future for both of these is to continue to refine what we can offer people to make an impact. Uh, anything that I do, I want to trigger people. I always talk about neuro-linguistic program, but if you engage with Dynamis or you engage with AdaptiveX, I want people to look at our gear, touch our gear, wear our gear, and, and change the way they think. 
I want people to change their lifestyle just by grabbing onto what we do and, and thinking about the best version of themselves every single day and challenging themselves in each moment is, am I being the best father that I could possibly be for my children? Am I being the best protector in the world that I could possibly be? Am I loving people as much as I possibly can be to brighten their day up a little bit? Like All those things are so important to me and I want to see people to be able to protect themselves. There's real evil in the world. I've embraced that evil. I always say you have to have a connection to reality with what you're doing and I think it's important to understand how to take that to the next level. You know, we have a backpack that has armor in it. So, you know, some fathers have bought that for their kids going to school. You know, that's a big deal right now. You know, ours is made in the USA, so it's very intricate. But at the end of the day, we, we care about watching people be better. And, you know, the future is exciting. We're going into 2019 with a lot of momentum. We're finding everything that we're doing. And I'm learning every day. I did not start these companies to run a business. And I, I came out to do what I love. You know, I was 17 years old and right in the military, so I didn't go to Harvard or any type of business school. So I am completely adapting and figuring out along the way. And I've made, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've learned so much in the last seven years. And I'm continuing to adapt and learn. And it's a, it's a fun process to go through every day, and I'm really excited for the future. So cool. Yeah, I will include the links to everything you mentioned there in the description of this podcast episode. So guys, I encourage you, uh, just tap the links. You'll find out more about it. Last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Dom, I love to ask all the dads I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to that new father or to that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? All right, so I'm going to say two things. First of all, the about-to-be dad, right? We're all going to go through that phase when we have children. And for me, it was, it's so important to maintain the relationship with your significant other, hopefully your wife, in that situation where you're changing. There's going to be changes in your life, and you've had something a certain way for so long, is that things are going to start to develop, and you need to be open-minded to that idea that life is going to change for you now, and you need to embrace that and run towards it. Um, an old Italian couple uh, told me a long time ago that like a relationship isn't 50-50, it's 100-100. So I, you know, my wife and I have gotten to the point where like she can get me mad, she can upset me, but I still love her wholeheartedly and I want to see her happy. This isn't for me, this is for her. And I think when you finally get that to click in a relationship, you start realizing how much more fulfilled you can be because it's not about what you can get out of them, it's what you can do for the other person. So that that process of being pregnant and then also that first year when you have the kid, things are going to be different. You know, when, when my wife was giving me massages, you know, every week, you know, that changes because she has a baby she's got to feed now. And, and you have to be open-minded to that change the first year. Adapt, be, be open-minded, be loving, learn from those experiences. And then after the first year went by for me, I was like, all right, I got this. I got to flow down. We know what we're doing. Then things were a lot easier. Um, the second thing I'll say is that, we like to say lead by example. We like to say lead by our actions. We're like, yeah, we're going to lead by our actions, and we think that we're going to be, you know, great. But kids will hold you accountable to that because the way they act and the way they respond is because you're doing it and you've made it okay. And, and you may not see it because you have to take the blinders off. You have to be able to look at yourself. And when kids argue, you're like, why are you arguing? You're like, wait a second. I do the same thing, and, and you have to, and there's an element of that, right? And that's where making them understand, like, look, I'm, some things are just, I'm your parent, and this is a safety issue, and you have to listen to me. I always try to give my kids the why, but leading by example is something that is so important to really live by. Like, 
assess that and really, really try to implement it and refine it every week. You know, am I doing everything I can to lead by example, by my actions, by how I talk to my wife, by how I treat everybody in the family, by how I treat other people because they're watching and they're taking it all in. And at the end of the day, you know, being a father is one of the most important things one of the most important jobs that we have in the world and we have to take it seriously and it has to be a number one priority and I want guys to understand their role is so, so important. Your difference made in the world is going to be through being a great father and setting that example and knowing that there's no more fulfilling thing in the world that you could possibly do. Awesome, Dom. I love the message. I love your passion. Uh, This has really been a true honor for me. Uh, So, Dom Rosso, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. It's the most important thing we can do. God bless you and and keep doing what you're doing with your mission and educating people on on how to do exactly that. And uh, I hope you all the best. All right, guys. I will be right back after a quick spot. Seat Geek. Taking your kids to the ball game is one of the greatest experiences in all of fatherhood. And now, First Class Fatherhood has partnered with SeatGeek, and you could save $20 off your next ticket purchase by using the promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS. Maybe you want to go to a Broadway show, a concert. SeatGeek has the best prices for a wide variety of events. It's a slam dunk deal, dads. Get over to www.seatgeek.com and use the promo code First class to get $20 off your next ticket purchase. SeatGeek.com. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a first class father. He is a former member of the United States Marine Corps, a former member of the United States Navy SEALs, and a former member of DevGrew or SEAL Team 6. He is the founder of Veterans for Child Rescue. He is a combat veteran, a hero, a warrior. It is truly an honor for me to say, Craig, the Sawman Sawyer, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. All right, buddy. Let's do it. Okay, Craig, let's get this underway here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Well, I've got two kids. Uh, Our daughter Aspen is 19 and Caden is 15. Okay, very cool. What type of sports or activities were they into? Well, Aspen was a cheerleader, and um, and she she likes to sing. She's got an angelic voice. She's been blessed with uh, with a, a voice uh, that's incredible. And uh, Caden, and she's a little actress too. And Caden played football uh, for about five years, and then uh, now he's he's just focusing on his schoolwork. So, all right. Did you ever have the opportunity to coach any of the kids, or did you kind of cheer them on from the sideline? I cheered them on from the sidelines, but I did speak to the to the teams and the groups uh, as a motivational speaker. Speaker, kind of pumped them up on how to train in the off season. You know, what kind of ethic, the hard work to put in if they really wanted to win on game day. They had to put in the hard work during practice, and you know, to, to put out and, and uh, let the coaches see that they 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 meant business and that kind of thing was where championships were really earned. And then uh, just pump them up before the game, get them fired up so they could have a have a great performance. Okay, yeah, that had to be motivational for those kids, no doubt. All right, Craig, please take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what led you to starting the foundation Veterans for Child Rescue. Yeah, well, my background, uh, I went to the Marine Corps and Navy SEAL teams, and then I even got picked up for what they're calling SEAL Team 6 now, uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group. And um, I got to operate at the highest level of counter-terrorist operations and uh, gotten experience in 56 countries now 
across the globe. Uh, so a lot of global travel and experience, seeing all kinds of things out there. And, uh, did five years of federal law enforcement out that after that, and then almost a decade of high-threat dignitary protection for the U.S. Department of State and another intelligence agency that we don't talk about, protecting their high-ranking officials over in the war zones and running their mobile security details. And so I've worked with a lot of good professionals throughout my life, and once I realized uh, the the problem of child trafficking was as big and pervasive as it was in the United States, I realized that making a documentary about it would be my best contribution at combating that problem so that we as a society could could fight it and stand up together and, and turn against it because our, our country – our beliefs, our laws are very soft on child trafficking right now, pedophilia, and so we need to we need to harden that back up for the for the best interests of the children. So, I thought a, a documentary would be a strong way to do that to walk the American public through the harsh realities of what's going on with that. And uh, I started putting together Veterans for Child Rescue and. While I was working on getting the production together and, and building the organization um, foundation, our daughter was abducted in Tucson, Arizona, from a Subway sandwich parking lot by a a, a local lifetime criminal at Knife Point. He took her and brutally assaulted her for hours. And so I got a call in the middle of the night um, my wife was, uh, her phone was on and she had taken a call from her daughter. And obviously, it was a very upsetting phone call to get. Aspen was driving home uh, in hysterical uh, afterwards. So we got her to the hospital. We got her the help. We went through the process of um, the investigation. They did make the arrest. And so the, her perpetrator is in custody, but it has been 18 months now. And and my daughter still has not seen him stand trial. She's not had that satisfaction of seeing her attacker held accountable. He's been allowed to go through 14 public defenders because he'll fire one and then he, they give him a new one and they delay the trial. And then he waits a while and then he fires the next one. So that's been very upsetting for, for our daughter, probably uh, as much as anything. It's just been, been a horrible situation. And so we're just trying to get justice and get, get to the court systems, system to follow through on that. But uh, so months after her attack, we officially founded and got the 501c3 status for Veterans for Child Rescue. And our daughter was, was really wanting to in whatever way she could fight back. And later that year, she was able, well, it was actually February of the next year, uh, so February of this year. Her attack was in 2017, so February of 18, she actually went with us on a trip where we were working with federal and local law enforcement, and she served with our team at Veterans for Child Rescue as a junior decoy agent. And in that capacity, she would talk to the perpetrators a little bit online, show uh, photos of her face as a, as a type of proof of life, as a decoy, uh, to lure the predators in that were seeking sex with minors. And um, and then our, our senior officials uh, would, would talk to them and guide them in. And, and our daughter would uh, escort them in the door, 
offer them something to drink, have have them sit down and pretend to do her homework at the kitchen table and uh, and serve as a decoy agent. She had to wear body armor. And I'll tell you, as a father, I have been used to putting on my body armor and tactical gear and going into harm's way hundreds if not thousands of times throughout my life. It's routine. It's normal. Uh, my buddies to the left and right are usually hardened Navy SEALs or Delta operators or CIA operators, and, and we all know the risks, and, and we're warriors, and we understand that. But I've never been prepared to take my precious little girl into an operation, into harm's way. And, and the, her counselor said, hey, Aspen thinks she might want to participate. And I, and I initially said, no, 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 no. And my own wife said, hey, you should probably let her do that. And get, that's her way of fighting back and giving back a little bit. It'd probably be healing for her, and I was like, "No, no, 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 no!" And our our team was like, "Hey, Craig, you should probably let her do that." So my daughter says, "All right, I'm gonna find a way to do that with or without you, Papa." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So ultimately, I gave in, and I, I can admit it now. It was the right thing to do, uh, but man, I just I can't express how unsettling it is to have your own little precious baby girl. Uh, and our daughter, she's a petite thing too. Environment have the SWAT team run past her with guns up to uh, to, to handcuff this perpetrator and arrest him. You know, it's just uh, it was a surreal experience. But anyway, it was the right thing to do. Yeah, wow. What you just described there, Craig, is pretty much every father's worst nightmare come true. Uh, I pray that the bastard that harmed your daughter is hit with the book uh, for what he did. And I would imagine that once this guy found out whose daughter he messed around with, he's probably praying to stay in prison for a long time as well. But, man, how courageous of your daughter to fight back the way she has. I'm sure it went a really, really long way in her healing process. And I'm sure knowing that you were involved in the op really made her feel a lot safer. Uh, thank God for you and people like you who are willing and able to take on this issue because of the intensity of it. Let me ask you this, Craig. How bad is the child sex trafficking situation here in the United States? Well, it's as bad, if not worse, than anywhere. And and I've learned uh, so much that I, I don't want to go into too much graphic detail, but it would turn your stomach and break your heart. Look, I'm a hard combat veteran this breaks my heart. I don't hesitate to say it anymore. It's, it's messed up. When you learn what they do to the kids, a lot of these, these people are sadistic. They like inflicting harm on the innocent. There's an aspect to this that is all about deliberately harming and even murdering uh, the, the children. So it's just it's just very upsetting to deal with and, and, and learn about. So it's so pervasive. It is the fastest-growing criminal enterprise on earth. So in short order, if not already, it will be larger than the narcotics trafficking trade. And we all have some sense by now, after several decades of understanding how big that is. So $150 billion industry, and they estimate... Uh, five million children are are subjected to this. So if you imagine a pro football stadium packed full of people, I think a lot of those stadiums now they hold like fifty to seventy thousand people, um, depending on which stadium it is. So imagine how many of those stadiums full of children you would have to replicate to get to five million little lives, and the, their lives are shattered by this. And that's the scale that we're looking at. 
And so, United States, man, a lot of the politicians uh, have been corrupted over the years. They're into child trafficking. They make money from it, but they also gain political leverage by blackmailing each other, videoing each other at these big elaborate parties and islands and 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 these events that they have. And so that's another aspect of it is the blackmail and the political power. But uh and some of it's just, just uh sexual perversion. So there's kind of a wide scope of it. And a lot of American males and Western European males will go to to the Southeast Asian countries. They say about two thirds of every Western male that gets off of a plane in Bangkok, Thailand is there to take uh part in a sex trade uh, one way or another. So they realize it's, uh, man, it's pretty pervasive. So a lot of, you know, our, our males will go there because they think that they have a less chance of getting caught over there. So there's a lot of sex tourism. Do the same thing to Central and South America. And they, they migrate, they, they bring children to the United States for the predators' abuse. So there's kind of a wide scope of how it's done, but man, uh, the, the, the United States is, is, uh, certainly not immune to it, and it's in fact one of the more busy locations on earth of, uh, child sex trafficking and child abuse. So it's, uh, it's just dis- disheartening, it's disgusting, and it's something that we as a nation, I believe we're better people than that, and I'm all about cleaning it up. Yeah, Craig, it is very scary to hear you talk about the numbers of our kids that are being affected by this. This is that, that is terrifying. Uh, is there any particular group of children that are at a higher risk than others? Does race or religion factor into this? Uh, is it linked to economic status, or, or is it just more of a crime of opportunity? It crosses all boundaries as far as race and, and economic status, but runaways are number one. They'll take the runaways. Also, uh, broken and shattered families with a, maybe a single mother that can't afford or doesn't have the wherewithal to get the legal representation. I'm getting overwhelming numbers of reports that Child Protective Services are taking children from single mothers and putting them into child sex trafficking. Maybe not directly, but getting them, uh, moving them to one foster uh, family. Uh, that may be abusive, and then the child gets rotated to another foster family, and then eventually the child gets lost in the system, and the child's just being sold on the on the streets outright. So uh, there's a lot of ways that it happens, uh, but you know the, the the children that are least likely to fall victim are children from a family with a loving mother and father, with a secure, stable household. Uh, where their children are secure, they know they're loved, and their parents watch after their kids and pay attention to what's going on in their and their their phones, and with their their friends, and in their online use. Because a lot of these predators now, instead of just being creepers that hang around the playgrounds and the shopping malls, oh well, now they're stalking our children online. So we may think that if we lock our cars and lock our windows and our doors at night and retreat to our master bedroom that our children are in, in their bedrooms safe, but they're not safe at all because the, the child that they think they're interacting with on their cell phone or their iPad or their computer or even their Xbox game may be 
in a lot of cases a, a predatory adult that's that's fooling our kids and and deceiving them and trying to work them into a, a compromised position. So they'll ask your kids for photographs and video of them that uh once the, the child shows them a, a video that's inappropriate then they'll they'll use that as leverage to blackmail the child. Oh, you're gonna get in trouble. Now you've got to show me more or now you've got to meet me around the corner so then I'll tell your your parents to get you in trouble. And so it's just very creepy, very dangerous. So we at uh, Vets for Child Rescue, we've got a list of apps, and we're going to be building out that page on our website more, but there's a list of apps that the predators use to stalk our children that don't have any business being on our child's phones. So I encourage people to go to vetsforchildrescue.org and look for that list of apps and, and assert yourselves um, and be invasive enough to ensure you that your child is safe and look through there and get rid of these these apps that are that are potentially very harmful. Yes, I will definitely be including a link in the description of this podcast episode that will take the listeners directly to Veterans for Child Rescue. And I encourage everybody to get over there and help out if possible, but definitely to be educated more about this at least. Uh, I'll tell you what, Craig, this reminds me a lot about that show from years back, To Catch a Predator with Chris Hansen. It was a show that was hard to watch, but I wish it was still going on. Is that is that a similar format to what you guys are doing to bring these guys down? Well, our sting operations uh, look a lot like that, only uh, I, I, don't, I don't come across quite like Chris Hansen. We, we've got a full SWAT team in the house that uh, that'll take this guy down right where he stands. So a uh, similar concept, yep. Uh, the, the predator is after sex with a, a minor, which is a crime, and uh, and the, the predator demonstrates their their intent uh, repeatedly, and uh, and that's a prosecutable crime. And so we catch them before they get to their next child, and some of them get caught very early on. Some of them never get caught, and uh, and and they tell me that some of these guys, they, they harm the lives or ruin the lives of hundreds of children each. It's a serial predation. They can't, can't seem to stop. But they say that the average that each child predator harms is 70 children each. So everyone that we can arrest and take off the streets really changes, potentially saves and changes the lives of, of a lot of innocent little children. So that feels pretty good. Yeah, and it just seems like there's no rehabilitation for this uh, kind of thing. Well, once you're uh, sexually aroused or turned on by a little kid, that's not something you can rehabilitate or, or, or rewire. It's like something is askew in your chemical makeup. So really, what could be other than castrating or putting a tattoo on these people's faces that labels them as child rapists? What, what could really be done to get the message across to these people? Well, I think we've got to make examples uh, of the ones that are that are predatory that we can catch. I think we've got to stiffen the laws very harshly against it as a deterrent. Um, Bob Hamer was, he's on our board of advisors, a close personal friend of mine. He was with the FBI. He went inside of NAMBLA undercover, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, and he arrested eight of their senior uh, members. So that was great work on his part. I think doing that kind of work really sends a message to let the predators know they're not welcome and uh, and we will not have them destroying the lives of our, our precious and, and innocent children like that. So I think it's just a matter of society rising up 
in standing against this. You know, Alfred Kinsey back in the 1950s taking to soften our laws, to soften our, our psychological medical uh, system, to pedophilia, and to soften our academic system uh, to pedophilia, to make it seem like somehow it was okay and healthy. It's not okay and healthy. It, it, it's a crime for a reason, and the reason it's a crime is because a child under 18, and now they're thinking maybe as late as 23 years old, their brain is not fully developed, and they cannot effectively articulate a an, an, an effective refusal of a predatory adult. They cannot advocate for themselves against a predatory adult sexually. So the, the male adult male predator can manipulate a child, and just because the child isn't fighting and screaming. Uh, to the point to where they're a bloody mess doesn't mean that they're not horrified inside and does not mean that they will not be emotionally shattered and conflicted and guilty, guilt-ridden for the rest of their life on why they didn't fight more or why they didn't do something more or were they okay with it? Are they a homosexual? There are all kinds of things that haunt these, these these people for the rest of their lives, and I know that because we are interviewing hundreds of them now as adults, and they can articulate exactly how they, they feel about it, whereas when they were a child, not so much, just like, you know, my children. I ask them, how was your day at school? Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. come on, go into detail, explain to me more, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of us parents have that, we try to pull it out of our kids and they just not that expressive a lot of times, and so it's 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 harmful and it's a crime and it's not okay and it's never going to be okay because children cannot advocate for themselves. So we as a society have to reverse the damage of what Alfred Kinsey did three generations ago, so that we can stop destroying the minds and therefore the futures and the lives of, of our next generation. We got to defend the defenseless. And that's something that we should all be on board with. There's no political party uh, one way or the other with this. It's just a basic human decency. It's It really should be common sense. And, and I hope, uh, you know, more people uh, really look at it and, and understand that that is the, the reality. And so, man, I would rather have a child uh, avoid this than have to be rehabilitated and, and healed afterward. But uh, there are a lot of people doing good work on all aspects of this problem. But, uh, man, as a, as a country, we've got to beat it back because, man, the kids, are they're, they're our future, and they're worth fighting for. Yeah, well said, Craig. And I have four children myself. They have changed my life completely for the better. I mean, I really am so blessed to have them. And one of the things I talk about quite a bit on the podcast here is that family values, the family structure is so important. And the family unit really seems to be under attack here in this country, you know, throughout the media, through social media, movies and TV. And once the family structure is broken down, once family values go out the window, there are disastrous results in the community and in the society. And some of those issues are being blamed on other circumstances, but if we trace it back to the root of the problem, it was a breakdown of the family structure at the genesis of it. Well, I've worked in a lot of different capacities over the years, and I, had, I didn't list them all you know, when I was given my intro because I didn't want to belabor the point, but I can, can predict whenever I see somebody that's got serious problems in their life, inevitably they came from a broken home. 
and they did not get the life that I would wish for them. I would want for every kid to have a loving mother and father and a, and a stable upbringing so that they could feel secure, they could feel loved, they could feel like they belong, because that's what allows them to grow up and live a productive life and feel okay. And I want that. I want that for everybody, but sadly it's not the case. And whenever I see people whose lives are just a complete mess, inevitably I find out that, no, they came from a really bad start. They, they, they did not get the benefit of a loving mother and father start like that. It's heartbreaking, but I think you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head. That family structure is so beneficial. It's so crucial at giving people a fair head start, man. I just, I think it's so important. You know, I was trying my best to provide for my family, and I was, I was overseas on a surveillance gig. I was working for an intelligence agency, and one of my guys, I told him, I said, man, I went to, you know, my daughter's little play, and, you know, I was so happy to be home, and, you know, one of the teachers looked me up and down like I was some sort of horrible person and said, oh, I guess you do really exist after all. I'm like, man, I guess I'm over here too often, but I'm, I'm trying to provide everything they need. And he said to me, he goes, you know what, saw man, he says, uh, what I find is kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And I felt like I got hit with a, with a ton of bricks. It just was an epiphany moment sitting right there in that vehicle. I just sat back in my seat and I, I just thought, oh my God, I'm missing it. I'm risking my life over here, almost getting blown up and shot up every day, potentially running all these bad roads and, and hanging out, you know, uh, in very dangerous situations to make as much money as I can so that they have everything they need, but what they really need is their papa to be there more. And so that's when I shifted um, my profession and, uh, and did everything I could to be home more. So I think that's something that's that's important. My my mom and dad were, were there for us, and I thought that was normal to have a leave-it-to-beaver-style household where mom and dad loved each other and stayed together all the time, and and uh, they told you they loved you and hugged you good night and, and all that, and that things were were uh, were nice. And I realized as I grew that uh, man, that was rare. You know, it's not the norm, and it's 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 way in the minority, and that's that's a shame because it's so beautiful and so beneficial. I think our it, that's what would make our, our society strong. And I think you, you're right when you said the family unit is under attack, and it's under attack uh, very deliberately by our nation's enemies because that is the, the backbone of this country is what makes strong, capable, viable citizens that aren't easy to abuse. Yes, and not only is it tragic because of what happens to the child who grows up that way, but it's sad for the whole community as well because we never get a chance to experience the greatness that we know is in that child. We never get a chance to experience that person's talent or, or benefit from what that person has to offer to society because it is robbed from so early on in life, and it's robbed from many of us, all of us in a way. Yes, sir. I think that's a, that's a very important way to look at it. Uh, we're all robbed, and I think we'd all love to see each person rise to their full potential, you know, and, uh, you know, some, some kids uh, over, overcome a rough start and, and God bless them for it. And, uh, it's tragic, but, and it's good to see people overcome adversity, but it's, uh, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's common sense now that we know 
that that's that's an important thing. So that family unit, uh, I don't think there there should be any controversy anymore. Okay, let me hit you with this, because as we speak, there is a caravan of people marching towards the border from Central America. Uh, There's upward of 7,000 of them. Is that a prime time place for these would-be child traffickers to be hiding out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, anytime there's, there's, uh, there are large groups of people like that, or there's chaos, uh, predators will take advantage and capitalize on the situation. So, um... It's, it's, again, it's heartbreaking to see children in a situation like that. What, what country are they looking to come to? What, what type of freedom and liberty are those people seeking? They're, they're seeking our country. We, we're, we've got a constitutional republic that gives we the people the say so of what our government does and what our elected officials do for us. And it's so desirable, it's so empowering to the we, the people, that people will flood here and take desperate measures to get here. So why, oh, why would people be out, any politicians or any citizens, be out to attack our Constitution and attack our, our governmental system that's been so effective and so, so desirable from all of the rest of the world for, for so long? So I think uh, to, to try to take our country and tear it apart and make it uh, a socialist system like Venezuela, I mean, I, you don't see big caravans of, of all this number of people desperately trying to claw their way into socialist Venezuela. You don't no, see good it. Point. So I think that, that freedom and liberty, man, that's, the, that's all about the human experience and the soul of someone and just letting them be free to create and earn and enjoy, pursue their their own happiness. You know, we want to preserve that. That's what I fought to defend. That's what I serve to defend. And uh, I think we all need to, to take a hard look at what has made this company, country so strong and, and effective and desirable and, uh, and defend those things, man, shore them up, bolster them, and strengthen them, rebuild and uh, and protect it. Yes, and I am somebody that is very thankful for the blessing of being born in this country. And I've, I love this country. I've never been out of it. And I honor and respect all of the men and women who fight and sacrifice so much to defend this nation and give me the freedom and to give the freedom to all those that I love. I mean, I do my best to have as many veterans here on the podcast to let them share their fatherhood experiences. Because I'll tell you what, Craig, when I have to put in a 16-hour day at my job or work two doubles in a row, I really miss my kids. And I can't even imagine being separated from them by having to go halfway around the world on a deployment for like six months and also have my life on the line that entire time. So, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to say thank you and to thank all your fellow warriors for what you guys do. Well, and I appreciate seeing all those people out there working too. You know, I, I, I've, I've served in the military most of my adult life in federal law enforcement. And I, uh, I look around, and I see so many people serving in a lot of different ways and I, I appreciate them all. And I realize, you know, so many people that do serve, they do spend more time away from their families, and that comes at a price. You know, the families, the, the children, you know, I can tell my children to do something until I'm blue in the face. I mean, I would love it if I just said, you know, daughter, clean your room. It's just, um, she's had so, you know, I would love it. I could imagine that she had so much reverence and respect. Oh, Papa, 
Yes, and it was you know she would just keep it clean forever, right? <laughs> I would I would love to be that that awe inspiring, but uh, it doesn't quite work that way. I could tell my kids things they're like, yeah, okay, I hear you, and they'll obey me, and they'll take action. But what they do more is they mimic what we actually do, what they see us do, how we live our lives. They begin to mimic. That's our bigger influence. Actions speak louder than words. So they'll do what we tell them to do, uh, but they watch and they mimic what we actually do. So I think that's important for us all to understand, uh, and that's that's something that, you know, those of us that work away from home a lot, uh, there's a price to be paid there, but uh, we make the best of it when we are home. But, again, it just reinforces the 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 knowledge that being with your kids is is so important to have that that uh, time that interaction that mentoring so that we can uh, instill in them our our moral values our our ethical traits and our, our principles so that they uh, can go forward and, and uh, benefit from our lessons learned and, and have a productive and happy life well said, Craig. All right, what do you have coming up? Do you have any other documentaries that you're working on uh, for us to look forward to? What, what are you working on right now? Well, we've got one of the biggest uh, production companies in the business. Uh, we're uh, having meetings just uh, in the next couple of days. And so there's going to be great stuff from that. We're not ready for a an announcement yet, but they want to take our documentary. We've just sold a documentary for 18 months about child trafficking so that we can show the American people what it is that they couldn't quite believe if you just told it to them. So we're going to actually show them our operations uh, down on the border, what happens, uh, what happens in the bars and brothels and even in the mountain villages where they get the children from in Southeast Asia, uh, what happens with our sting operation, what, uh, what we do with federally, with, with federal and local law enforcement. Uh, they're going to hear from experts, surviving witnesses and victims, the perps themselves. So there's a lot of story. Uh, and they'll even see uh, our daughter and, and uh, the operations that I described to you. They'll, they'll be able to see all of that. And um, so we're excited about that. And there's more uh, opportunities to come from just that. There's also a firearm that I've been working on uh, for our military. You know, I was an Navy SEAL sniper and I was uh, – instrumental in developing several of the new uh, firearms throughout the 90s. And I've been working with some of the top manufacturers since then, and uh, I've, I've devised a, a firearm that is about 30 years in advance of anything that's been out there. So my motive for that is to put a better uh, piece of equipment in the hands of our warfighters so that they are... Uh, they're more effective, and they more of them come home safe. And wow, that feels awesome. pretty good, too. So, yeah, that's a completely separate uh, deal. And uh, other than that, just trying to uh, spend more time with, with my kids as we grow and uh, just, just hang out and, and share time. Awesome. And you know what? Before I get to my last question here, one thing I forgot to ask you about, uh, what type of role, if any, do women play in child sex trafficking? Well, a lot of times the women will lure the, the girls or boys into harm's way. So they are the recruiters in a lot of, a lot of cases. Um, there are a lot of sadistic women, too, that, that do harm the children. They, they get off on it. They, they enjoy inflicting the harm. 
so it's it's not really gender specific and there are a lot of boys uh, that are that are victims not just the girls and in fact some of the male uh, abusers come in harder and faster um, when they think there's there's boys for sale than they do even for the girls so it's just creepy and and disgusting so it's it's evil is what it is and the reason i i decided to throw my back into it and bring some of the senior Intelligence community officials, federal law enforcement officials, and, and spec ops veterans that, that I've worked with all over the world is because I was told that this was ultimately the front lines between good and evil. And I've learned over the last 18 months that that was not an exaggeration. Uh, just since I've started this, there has been tens of thousands of, of people, online trolls, uh, we, we believe they're they're paid to do so, and uh, one at least one uh, religious cult, a satanic cult, that their people have been trying to uh, slander me and tear me down and accuse me of everything, the, the opposite of everything I've lived my life to to to, to demonstrate that I believe in. And uh, but we know that the only reason anybody would level would bring that level of energy and effort to try to silence me is because what we're doing is effective and we threaten something. So me alerting the populace and sounding the alarm that, hey, child trafficking is a threat and our children are in danger, look out for these child traffickers. This is a big deal. Uh, we're upsetting the apple cart because there's a lot of people taking uh, offense and, and getting very desperate to silence me. So Veterans for Child Rescue, our mission has already been enormously effective at alerting the populace and and, and rattling uh, the predators. So I, I'm proud of that resistance. You know, uh, nobody would bother with me if, if I weren't a threat. So uh, it's ugly. And it's it's not what you would think. It's, uh, it is evil. It, it, regardless of anyone's uh, religious beliefs or preferences, I, I do believe there is a force of good and there's a force of evil. And and uh, what's going on with the kids can't be described as anything less than evil. It's just the worst of the worst. So we've we've got to beat it back. And the and the fight to do that has been atypical. It has been strange uh, due to that. So it's it's like a lot of people refer to it as spiritual warfare. So a lot of our people that that, uh, that are very effective at helping the kids uh, and arresting the predators, they're they're Christians and they're believers, and there's a lot of prayer. And, uh, it, it's it's kind of like that. So it's it's a unique, it's different than any battle I've ever been a part of. I just I just want to stop people from raping kids. You know, it was that simple for me. But uh, I'm learning more about what it takes and and uh, the dynamic as we get deeper into it. But it's been a journey. Yeah, no doubt there is a battle of good and evil taking place here on Earth, a battle between light and dark. And thank God we have you and your brothers and sisters on the side of the light because, uh, I mean, I have goose pimples on me right now as we're speaking about this. And I am so proud that we have people like you guys because, honestly, without you and the people like you, we wouldn't even stand the chance out here, Craig. But let me throw it back over to fatherhood here before I wrap this up. One question I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast here, what type of advice do you have for the new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Well, uh, the about-to-be dad, I would say just to realize that having a child changes your perspective. It changes everything. 
Uh, your priorities change. It's not all about you anymore. You find that you don't care about your toys, your man toys. Or you, you care more about the development and, and the love of your, your little one. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a welcome uh, change and journey. And uh, the new fathers, I would say, man, just, just hang out and love them and, and uh, don't trust them to anybody. Uh, you know, a lot of predators work themselves in a position of authority where they have access to children. Um, and a lot of those are trusted official positions. So sadly, most of our elected, or not elected officials, but most of our public officials are honorable and trustworthy people, but not all. And the ones that are that are that are not are a lot of the ones that are harming the children. So I would say, uh, be hyper vigilant and look after your children. Try not to uh, leave them alone with anyone if you don't absolutely have to, and try to minimize that exposure. I'm, I'm a believer in security cameras. You know, covert security cameras. It just keeps people honest. And uh, so just just try to. Realize that uh, not everybody's as trustworthy as we would like them to be, and so let's look after our little ones so nobody's um, shattering their little psyche when we when we think they're safe. Awesome, Craig Sawyer. I can't say thank you enough for giving me a few minutes of your time right here today on First Class Fatherhood. No, absolutely, it was a pleasure. I, I enjoyed it, and I appreciate you giving me the time to get the word out because, again, uh, I care about all of our kids, and, and uh, people need to know this so that they can rise up with me. So I appreciate uh, their their assistance as well as your assistance in getting the word out. And this is not just me. This is not my fight. We can all do something. People say nice things about me and what I'm doing, and I say, look, man, we can all do something with this. We can all be heroes. If you want to put the word hero on someone that saves kids, we can all either donate, we can all volunteer, we can all share and spread the word, uh, we can all keep an eye out and notify law enforcement. And so you know, nobody has to do it by themselves. So I don't want anybody to feel overwhelmed in this big burden where they've got to save the day for the entire country. But uh, together we are what we can't be alone. We can all rise up and create a safer tomorrow for the kids. Awesome. All right, I'll be right back after a quick spot. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a first class father. He is a former Navy SEAL, a best-selling author, a world-class canine trainer, and host of Mike Drop. It is a big honor for me to say Mike Ritlin. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me on and uh, looking forward to our talk. Okay, Mike, let me drop a few on you here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? So I've got two kids. Uh, I'll just say that they're uh, in the preteen and teen uh, teenagers. They're both girls, so uh, they're they're getting right into that handful stage for sure. Okay, what type of sports or activities are the girls into? A little bit of everything. I mean, uh, you know, they they've tried just about everything. I mean, swimming, gymnastics, golf, tennis, uh, MMA. Um, even doing you know CrossFit style stuff or, or those types of workouts and uh, you know they've uh, one thing that I mean they're not unlike a lot of kids very interested in in a lot of different games and sports and things of that nature and just staying active but uh, they're you know their mom and I are both very active and and do a lot of different things whether it's you know paddle boarding or, or working out or you know we've got a gym in the garage here and 
and whatever. So they they've they've done and and do just about every sport, and, and we're always uh, very encouraging of that, and also try to. Um, you know, try to keep them involved and keep them active, and, and we have them eat real clean, and uh, you know, it's, it's a concerted effort for sure. Very cool, very active. Um, now, have you ever had the opportunity to coach the girls, or do you stay away from that and kind of cheer them on from the sideline? Yeah, I, I don't mess with the, with the coaching aspect. Um, you know, for me, it's like <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, that their mom and I, I think, uh, we tried unsuccessfully was working out together. Uh, and I, I view, I know there's a lot of dads out there. My hat's off to them that, uh, that coach and have their kids on the team, whatever. But I, I kind of look at it like, uh, you know, mixing business with personal, uh, to a certain extent. And that, uh, I just, for me, it's not something I ever wanted to, to be a part of where I'm coaching my own kids now, you know, on the, on the side or off to the side or, um, you know, in, in stuff where, you know, if we're doing stuff around the house or, you know, together, then, yeah, I'm happy to, you know, help them, te- you know, teach them whether arm bars or how to throw a certain way or, uh, you know, working on pull-ups or, or whatever, then, yeah, I'll do that no problem and, and enjoy doing that and, and play a pretty active role. But in a uh, in an official capacity, no, I'm not a, not a big fan of, uh, of the parent coaching uh, mechanism. Okay, Mike, please take a minute here and hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what led you to becoming a canine trainer. Sure. So I uh, I grew up in, in fairly rural Iowa, um, and I was always real fascinated with and enamored by bird dogs. I had a lot of friends that, you know, them and their dads did a lot of duck hunting and, and had, you know, several, uh, you know, field trial st- uh, type hunting labs and and I was just always fascinated by it. I mean, we had a lab growing up. He wasn't uh, from hunting stock, and, and you know, we didn't do anything like that with him. But uh, but I, I still always marveled at his naturally inherited prey drive and, and just his ability to use his nose and, and watching him, you know, in, in cold Iowa winters, uh, snaking back and forth and, and uh, getting into stuff, using his nose and what have you. And, and uh Moving forward, I joined the joined the military, the Navy, and um, got into hog dogs for a number of years while I was doing that, and and that really ignited my passion for um, the kind of the animal husbandry and breeding aspect of it. Um, you know, whether it was conditioning a dog to do a long long hunt, or uh, you know, really researching you know conditioning and nutrition, or uh, you know, antibiotic and veterinary therapy, whether it's you know keeping dogs healthy after, uh, you know, getting cut open or bones broken after hunts or, uh, you know, keeping them on antibiotics and stitching things closed and, and stuff like that. And uh, and then on a deployment to Iraq in uh, in early 03, uh, we were in the northern part of the country up in Tikrit, and there was a group of Marines that had a bomb dog with them uh, not far from where we were at. And, and uh, you know, I, I had heard about an operation where, uh, this dog had saved a number of those guys' lives. And for me, that, that was my, you know, what I coin or call my light switch moment where, you know, I was big into dogs and had a, a pretty significant amount of knowledge, um, you know, as it relates to all things dogs. Uh, and I was obviously pretty passionate about uh, being an operator and being in special operations. And uh, that's where it just kind of clicked. And, and I just became enamored with uh, trying to learn and, and study and and uh, you know, apprentice as much as I could uh, as it relates to the military working dog, police dog type of application for, for working dogs. And so from 03 until, as I sit here 
uh, speaking with you, I, I've just been constantly, uh, you know, on a, on a search for as much knowledge as I can possibly gain. Uh, and I've been, been very, very fortunate to have been presented with a lot of opportunities that, uh, you know, have, have given me the ability to learn from uh, truly world-class trainers and guys that, uh, you know, have been doing it for decades and uh, that coupled with being put in positions of, you know, being a canine trainer on the West Coast SEAL Team Canine Program, um, you know, and being around stables full of, of genetically incredibly gifted dogs and being able to cross-train with some really high-end, uh, you know, high-speed units. Uh, just, you know, overall has, has given me, um, you know, a lot of uh, knowledge and, and just created a lot of significant opportunities that uh, that I'm very, very grateful for. Yeah, so cool, man. I was telling my kids a little bit about what you do before the podcast, and I was showing them some of the YouTube videos about these military dogs and what they're capable of, and they were just blown away by seeing them jump out of airplanes and using parachutes and everything. And your girls must have had a ton of fun uh, with all these highly trained dogs being around them all the time. But have they ever become attached to any particular dog, and then you had to kind of give that dog away or it had to leave for a deployment? All the time, yeah. Uh, you know, they play an integral role and, and have, you know, from day one and, and up until now. You know, as, even though they're still a little older, uh, you know, they, they help out and, and, and are a huge part of that. I mean, so, uh, and it's funny, you know, just like with me, there's dogs that I get in that uh, that are really, really hard to, to see go. There's some dogs that I'm happy to watch them, watch them take off. But, uh, you know, it's... It, it's been a neat, neat experience as a father to be able to include them in, in what I do for a living in a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, to me, that that's a, a big part of, of being a parent, I think, and, and really raising our kids to be productive members of society is, uh, you know, not just tell them about your day, but, but really include them and, and try to pass that torch and instill good values and, and how to, how to not be a little dipshit that's just going to, you know, uh, be a leech on society and and uh, and not have an understanding of, of what it takes to be a good employee, a good coworker, a good boss, a good manager, uh, whatever path in life they take and whichever one of those roles they they fill. I, I think that uh, as parents, it's one of our primary duties is to is to really take them under our wing and, and showcase that. And I I have found that it's been a, a very uh, productive and effective way of doing that to to really include them in my work and not just you know tell them about my day or whatever. So I, I include them quite a bit. Well said. Now, as a Navy SEAL, you're obviously a very well disciplined individual. But how are you when it comes to disciplining your daughters? What type of a disciplinarian are you as a parent? I, I'm definitely hard on them. Uh, I mean, there's times where I'm probably a little too hard on them. Um, I, I will say that. Having said that, or I will caveat that with, um, you know, the amount of time that I spent in the military and, and uh, you know, drawing back on, you know, experiences that I had as a kid growing up, I think, um, you know, there's an element of that that, uh, that ultimately I think is good for them. Um, you know, that, that calculated stress, uh, whether it's in animals training them, raising young kids, uh, you know, dealing with, with employees, et cetera, is that you know challenging people and, and presenting them uh you know with with regular uh scenarios and occurrences that are going to going to test them going to test their willpower going to test their uh, and challenge their ability to think critically it, it's going to uh you know measure whether or not they're they're going to waffle uh when things get hard and and you know again I, I think that's another 
key component to being a good, not just a parent, but a good parent, uh, you know, is to really focus on and, and make sure that you present your kids with, uh, with stressful situations where they are going to lose, where they are going to be tired, where, where it is going to test their limits. Now, it's got to be age appropriate. Uh, it's got to be scaled to what they can handle. Um, you know, it can't be so overwhelming that you just destroy their spirit and, and ruin, uh, you know, what confidence they have. Uh, but it can't be a, you know, a give me, you know, I'm just going to let them win because they're kids and, and, and that type of crap either. I mean, I, you, you've got to play that happy medium and, and, uh, you know, have these calculated, uh, elements of stress throughout their childhood that, uh, that help them grow and, and, and build their confidence and, and teach them how to, how to work through problems and things that, uh, that aren't easy. Yeah, I've spoken to a number of dads on the podcast, and most of them are just sick and tired of the every kid gets a trophy philosophy. And I was just speaking with a few NFL Hall of Fame fathers, and we were talking about how kids today are put right into organized sports, right out of the box. And I know my kids as young as four years old. And when we were growing up, we played a ton of street ball where uh, there were no parents, no refs, no coaches around. So we kind of had to handle the problem solving aspects of choosing teams, setting the rules, calling all the penalties, settling the fights. You know what I mean? And we're kind of robbing our kids of the opportunity to grow in that way. Absolutely. I mean, to me, the it, it's it's kind of all encompassing. I mean, it's that. It's the logistics of Who's bringing the ball? Where are we playing? The net's broken. How are we going to get another one? You know, all of those things combined, I think, uh, you know, the kids not having to do, do those things on their own and figure those things out, uh, I think absolutely hamstrings them, um, you know, because it's, it, it's a, it's an instrumental part of life. I mean, resourcefulness is, you know, if not the one of the most important character traits that, that a human being can have. Uh, you know, and I think if, if you don't, um, you know, instill that in kids early on by, by letting them figure those things out, uh, you really do rob them of competency as adults because, uh, you know, you, you hear about it and, and, and I can tell you firsthand of, of having had a number of employees that are in that, you know, young 20 age group, um, you know, in, in the last decade that, uh, you know, not just from an entitlement standpoint, but from a, from a, a lack of being resourceful standpoint, um, you know, I, I think it's a detriment, and, and it does them a huge disservice by uh, by by spoon feeding and hand holding every step of the way during their childhood. No, no two ways about it. Yeah, and I think another thing that's both good and bad is the social media, internet access, whatever you want to call it. I say good because I hustle Uber on the weekends, and it's a good way to make some extra cash. But one of the most encouraging things that I see about this generation of teenagers or young adults is that they're not drinking and driving nowhere near as much as, unfortunately, we did when I was their age. They're always using Ubers. They're splitting the fares, so it doesn't cost them that much. It's really awesome to see. But on the flip side of that, they're never communicating with one another. There's like a breakdown in their communication whenever they get into the car their faces are just glued to the screen uh you know they're not talking to one another they're always fiddling with their phones so i'm curious how do you handle social media time video game and technology time with your girls uh it's actually really simple for us is that they don't get any of it uh, for all of those aforementioned reasons they don't have devices they don't have social media profiles they rarely get to watch tv uh, they spend a fair bit of time on the computer for schoolwork and things of that nature, uh, but that's it. You know, um, I have no, um, you know, misconceptions that that you know technology is is not going anywhere. It's here to stay, and there's a level of competency that uh, that is required 
uh, you know, to be a productive member of society in most realms, um, you know, that, that, uh, that they have to learn. And so, you know, I, I don't keep it from them entirely. I mean, they, they're on computers and devices at school, uh, you know, and, and there's, uh, devices, um, you know, here and, and at their mom's house that, uh, that are set aside for them to utilize for schoolwork, for research, et cetera. But they don't have Snapchat. They don't have cell phones. They don't have Facebook accounts. They're not on any of those platforms, period. And in my opinion, uh, it's, it's one of the biggest poisons that, that our children come across for, for two main reasons. One, from a security standpoint, it's fucking dangerous. Uh, you know, kids, kids get, uh, approached and abducted and, and uh, you know messed with by uh, sketchy, sneaky snakes in the grass uh, adults that, uh, that know that they're on there and and bait them into into certain things and that can't happen uh, if they're not allowed access to that uh, on, on kind of a broader scale in terms of the the detriment that it does to their personalities is is a number of things is that you know that that need for uh, for likes and followers and, and a, you know, virtual affection, uh, is poisonous. Uh, it's bad enough for adults, but for, um, you know, chil- children whose minds are being formed and developing and, uh, you know, their hormones and central nervous system and all these things combined to, uh, you know, to contribute to what that person's personality is going to be as an adult, uh, it, it, when it's driven by that that need for uh you know fake uh, affection and attention and and uh, and things of that nature it, it does uh, a huge disservice uh in terms of you know from a dopamine receptor standpoint is that it's very similar to the response that that the brain uh you know goes through or the or the process that it goes through uh when when given drugs um, and, and so there, there's a, an element of, of euphoria and self-confidence when kids see tons of, you know, people liking their things and, you know, that they don't even know uh, that, that now it, it becomes the norm. And when they don't have that, it, it makes them depressed and it's, and it's poisonous. Uh, and then the other thing, too, again, is, um, you know, from a uh, just kind of a realism standpoint is that we all know, I mean, myself included, I mean, the things that I post on social media are, of course, things that I want people to see. And I don't post things on there that I don't want them to see, you know. So uh, when that happens as a, as a kid, uh, you know, I think that it it kind of convolutes their mentality and their personality, uh, you know, to be very very fake and materialistic and and not real. You know, I think it gives gives kids a very skewed perception of reality to to let them to let them deal with it. So I just don't. Yeah, and I never had any social media accounts myself until I started this podcast, so I'm still kind of new to all this, and I think it's just an amazing tool to use when you're trying to promote something, Uh, but I'm never on there to socialize with anybody, and I really, it doesn't make any sense to me why people are even concerned about likes or followers if they're not selling anything online. Well, again, I think it's an ego thing, unquestionably. I mean, I, I see... I see it all the time, you know, it's, it's almost like the, the Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian syndrome is that they're famous for being famous, uh, and, and that, that drives a lot of our society, uh, you know, needing that, that, uh, um, you know, uh, again, that v- virtual affection, the attention or, or the validation of their existence. And I think, you know, to me, it's like if you're that bored, you know, learn how to fly a helicopter, you know, figure out how to, how to bake cakes better than you do. I mean, whatever it is, like, um, you know, it's just, I don't understand why, why there's such a, 
you know, a sponge for for attention in terms of people's egos defeated. I, you know, I just to me, I, I think people should uh, should find other things to to validate uh, what they're doing. But yeah, I kind of love what Jim Rohn used to offer on that when he used to say, uh, "Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills." But um, let me ask you about your podcast, Mike Drop. It's an extremely popular podcast. What was the genesis of that, and how did that come about? So for me, it was, uh, you know, being, you know, out and about in the, in the public eye, so to speak, with, uh, you know, with the canine training and the books and, and the different media that I've, uh, been fortunate enough to be asked to be on and things of that nature. You know, it's always very, um, you know, I'm wearing a hat for this environment. I'm, I'm, you know, conducting myself in this professional manner because I'm in front of this group. Uh, you know, it was a desire to, to want to have a, a medium and a format where I didn't have to do any of that um, and can just be me, number one. And then number two is that I know myself and, and just the fact that, that, say, Trump got elected as an example is that, you know, with all of the baggage that came along with, uh, you know, with his um, candidacy, you know, the, the over overwhelming or overriding principled theme that I noticed at least is that people are so starved for somebody who's just willing to tell you whatever the hell is on their mind regardless of what it is uh you know it, that 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 thirst and desire for somebody that's authentic is is so significant uh you know that I think that that played a big role in, in him being elected and and I'm you know, I'm not uh, saying anything about about him as a president, bad, good, or or, or otherwise. I'm I'm speaking merely from uh, just what what he brought to the table, how he conducted himself, uh, and it was unlike anything anybody had seen in a long time. And I think it it played an enormous role in him getting elected. And and you know, when I watch media, whether it's you know cable news or uh, you know listening to other podcasts or whatever, is is that there's always that that veil of political correctness and let's not talk about that because it may offend group a or well you know i'd rather you not swear because we might have kids listening or or whatever uh you know and 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 to me that it just it it got to a a breaking point for me and that i was i was so sick and tired uh of of being on interviews like that or uh, you know, or, or watching shows where they have people on for 90 seconds, you know, and you don't ever really get whatever the hell it is that, that you're, that you're, they're trying to convey or, uh, or they won't ask them questions that you know damn well everybody wants to, to them to be asked. Uh, and so that, that's really the gist of it is that I, I wanted a, just a, a pure, raw, unfiltered platform where I could have interesting guests on and ask them, whatever the hell I wanted. I, there's nobody telling me who I can have on, who I can't, what we can talk about, how long it needs to be. And so it's that long form, super in-depth, um, you know, type of questioning where it, it, it's it's as if me and this person sitting across from me are good friends. We're sitting in our kitchen table catching up and there's a microphone. I mean, that, that is my, my goal for the field by and large, uh, you know, to be that way in terms of, of how authentic and real the conversation is. Yeah, I love the platform and the opportunity that it provides. Uh, for me, I'm only five months into this, and I was really just sick of hearing young people, especially young men, talking so poorly about fatherhood and parenthood. And and I always say it feels like family life is under attack in this country. Uh, and I'm just glad there's a way for me to get the message out there that, hey, fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and, and there's so much good that comes out of the family life.
Yeah. I mean, to me, even even more important than that, you know, I think uh, it's vital for for our country and, and frankly, every every nation on the planet, uh, you know, to have better resources in terms of how to be a good, effective parent because there's a lot of bullshit out there that uh, that that there's not, you know, uh, or that you know there's a lot of convoluted, um, conflicting, um, you know participation trophy everybody's a winner kinder gentler uh, you know type of of coddling and, and raising of kids that uh, that's been a huge detriment to to our society and uh, and it needs to stop so uh you know i i'm i'm glad you're doing it and it's uh, you know it's refreshing to uh, you know to be able to to have those types of discussions yeah, and the overwhelming response from the dads all across the country has been in total agreement with what we're saying here. And it makes me wonder why that's not being reflected out in the mainstream, because once the family unit is broken down, I think it goes without question that the results are just detrimental to everybody in the culture. Yeah, no, I know it. It's it's mind numbing. But, uh, you know, what I guess, you know, what what can you do other than what you're doing? I mean, to me, that's that's one of the beauties of, of the of the podcast platform is it gives your common man instant uh viral access to 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 the public if if it's warranted you know if uh, if it's good content and there's a desire for people to hear it it, uh, it you know it it cuts the uh you know the the corporate greed media out out at the knees in terms of being able to control what gets put out there and to me it's uh, it's you know, it's the 21st century uh, First Amendment on steroids. I mean, like it personifies that, and, uh, and I love that about it. Yeah, well said. All right, you have a number of best-selling books out there, Trident Canine Warriors and Team Dog among them. Are you writing any other books at the moment, or what's coming next for Mike Ritlin? Uh, no other books right now. Um, I, I may do um, kind of a, a 2.0 of the training book, uh, perhaps, Um you know, it just kind of depends on uh, how much time I have and, and whether or not I really, you know, feel the the need to do it. Um, you know, for me, the the couple of things that I'm I'm focusing on, uh, you know, in the near future here is one, obviously, the podcast, and just continue to to put time into that and, and grow it. Uh, and then my online training has been a resource again that uh, that I've put a lot of time into over the last a uh, little over two years now, or, or a couple months into our third year. Um, and, and, you know, to me, that's been something that I've been passionate about similarly to, you know, seeing a bunch of dipshit kids running around where their parents, you know, hand them an iPad and, and ignore them. And that's their version of parenting is you see that same approach with dogs a lot, uh, where people have their head buried in their ass when it comes to dogs and they don't know what they're doing and, uh, you know, and, and they don't pay attention and they, and they don't, uh, care enough to, uh, educate themselves, uh, in terms of the proper, proper way to, to raise a dog and, and do it the right way, you know. So um, I started this this online training program where you do it yourself, you do it at home at your own pace, and it's it's just very, very simple, fundamental, uh, you know, principled elements of structuring the dog's day and, and, and the training sessions and the nutrition and the mental and, stim, stim, uh, or mental and physical stimulation and engagement and coupling all of those things together. Uh, you know, to create an environment that is conducive to teaching a dog what the expectations are. And so, um, you know, that, that's been a, a big part of what I've been doing and, and trying to grow that to, uh, to help as many people as possible. And then we've had, uh, just overwhelming, uh, positive feedback from that. So, uh, just continuing to do that and, and continue to grow it as a resource. Um, 
looking at, at potentially launching some Trico's training franchises to help augment that process, uh, you know, across the country, uh, as well as uh, I've developed and partnered with uh, a number of, of canine-related products, both uh, on the on the physical gear side, crates, collars, leashes, treat bags, clickers, things like that, uh, as well as uh, on the supplement side, CBD oils and um, MCT oil powders and collagen powders and gels and uh, you know things of that nature to uh, to help augment uh, you know dogs that have anxiety or joint problems or or other things you know there's a number of products out there that um, that I wanted to to kind of create uh, or improve upon that I just wasn't happy with with what's out there on the market so uh, you know I've, I've and in the next six months or so you'll see a number of, of Trico's products that uh, that encompass all of all of those same types of things. Very cool. All right. Now, I've seen you throw up the icon there, the Mike Ritland for president. Uh, have you ever been approached for or would you ever consider a run for office of any kind? I mean, I, I get asked quite a bit uh, about it, you know, whether it's running at a local level or, I mean, crazily enough, I, you know, I, there were people that wrote my name in more than I would have thought uh, at the last presidential election, which is both flattering and scary. But um I mean, I, I would say not seriously. I mean, if, if there were enough people and and, uh, and the, enough of the right people uh, behind, you know, wanting me to do that and, and you know, did the the logistical preparations to, to accommodate something like that, I would certainly consider it. But it's it's certainly not something that uh, that that I have any interest in or uh, or any any real realistic thought process of saying yeah i'm probably going to run for x position at some point in my life it's 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 not uh, not really on the radar uh enough for me to consider doing anything realistically or or uh or whatever but yeah i think the whole political atmosphere right now is so toxic and i think you're right on with why trump won the election and i also think that that's a big reason why your community of navy seals is so popular you guys are just telling it like it is and people are really sick and tired of political correctness and being jerked around uh i definitely love the seal community i think we need more guys like you for our kids to look up to and emulate i love the honesty the integrity the mindsets of you guys and if it were up to me uh every navy seal would have to write their own autobiography once they come out of the teams uh you guys aren't celebrated nearly enough as far as i'm concerned yeah no, i mean it's uh yeah i mean it's it's neat uh you know and humbling for sure to to be in a position where where there's as many people as there are that want to hear our types of stories you know i mean it's uh it's a double-edged sword for sure uh but uh but again i you know i think this country needs um, more and better role models for uh, for our kids growing up. Um, you know, people that, uh, that that you know put the the greater good in, in front of their own self interests and uh, you know and, and serve in whatever capacity. And there's obviously a multitude of ways to do that. But uh, you know, I I am very very um, you know gracious and and, and humbled and. Uh, flattered, frankly, and uh, feel very fortunate to to be in in a position where where people care what I think and and want to hear what I have to say. So it, uh, I, I certainly don't take that for granted. Okay, Mike, let me hit you with one more question here. I love to ask all the dads I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for the new father or for that about to be dad who's out there listening? Uh, a couple of things. I mean, number one is that put in the time. You know, do the work. Uh, it, it's not easy. It's going to be one of the hardest things you've ever had to do and it's for the rest of your damn life uh 
um, you know, to me, you should take that responsibility as a privilege uh, and, and realize that you are going to be the one or, or one of the, the key ingredients uh, and, and influencers in that young child's life to shape how they turn out. You don't have 100% control, but you play a big fucking role in it. And, and so don't uh, don't take that lightly. Uh, I'm not going to say don't screw it up because you are going to screw it up. So that, that leads me to the other thing is realize you're not going to do it perfect. You're going to make mistakes. We're all human, just like every other aspect of your life. Learn from it and don't do it again. Uh, use that feedback loop uh, that your kids provide you with constantly uh, to learn from your mistakes and, and make adjustments and pivot when you need to. If you're too hard on them, you're too soft on them, you're, you're too involved, you're not involved enough. Uh, you know, and then last but certainly not least is set the fucking example. Uh, you know, I, I can't stress that enough. And, and that's whether you're, you're a father, whether you're a business owner, uh, whether you're a spouse, whatever it is, is that, you know, be that example that you want your kids to be, that you want your employer employees to be, that you want your spouse to be, your business partners, your friends, whatever. Uh, obviously, in this case, it's kids, and so it's magnified because they're little sponges, as we all know. You know, and they pay attention. I mean, they're a lot like dogs in a lot of ways, frankly, especially when they're really young. Uh, but even as they get older, is they pay attention to every damn thing that you do, uh, you know, and, and they're they're going to mimic it, they're going to emulate it. If you're lazy and you blow things off, you procrastinate, you're you're a disrespectful prick, uh, you know, you don't handle your business. Guess what? They're going to watch all that and they're going to think that that's how you handle yourself and that, and that that's how you conduct yourself, and that's just unacceptable. So uh, if you don't want to continue to, uh, you know, aid in the population of dipshits running around. Don't be one. Uh, set that example. Put the time in, and, and be consistent with it, and, uh, and make it make it happen. <laughs> yeah, right on with that. I love the message. You are a first class father for sure, and I just like to say thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'll have to have to get you on my crop here at some point. Wow, that would be an honor for sure, Mike Ritland. Everybody, I'll be right back after a quick spot. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Today's interview is being brought to you by NFW Watches. Please go over to nfwonline.com and use my promo code FATHER at the checkout. You're going to save 15% off your entire order. You're going to get free shipping inside the United States. And $50 of every order is going to go directly towards Honor Flight, which is helping our World War II veterans. Get over to nfwonline.com. Use the promo code FATHER. All right, and joining me now are First Class Parents. He is a former Navy SEAL whose best-selling book, Lone Survivor, was turned into a blockbuster movie with the same title, detailing his account of a deadly SEAL team operation. He is a Navy Cross and Purple Heart recipient. He joins me today with his wife, Melanie, from the great state of Texas. It is a big honor for me to say Melanie and Marcus Luttrell. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get this started here. How many kids do you guys have, and how old are they? They're three. One is fixing to be 21 years old, and then he's a, he's a junior at LSU. We have one that's seven and one that is six. Very cool. What type of um, sports or activities are they into? Hunter, the oldest, did football and baseball all through growing up. Now that he's in college, he actually plays on their club baseball team. He's a state champion his uh, senior year in high school. He's a, he's a heck of a player. Um. And Axe and Addie, the little ones, are not in organized sports yet, um, but that's mainly because of our schedule, not 
because of them. Well, at this age right now, I was waiting for Axe to turn seven, and this is where I start introducing him to – because I don't even need that. I mean, I want them to have a childhood and play and, and, and do all that before I kind of come in their life and, and start pushing them in or helping them in the directions with the discipline and everything. So we've introduced them to jiu-jitsu and baseball and basketball and tennis and golf and bowling and – uh, pool and swimming and pretty much everything. And then once they kind of find an interest in something and, and point in the direction they want to go, then we'll start. Yeah, that's awesome because I've had my kids in these organized sports leagues as young as four years of age, and it kind of really just simulates the way I played when I was a kid. We played more in the street or in the neighborhood without referees and coaches and all that, and we kind of had to handle the uh, problem-solving aspects uh, of the games in a sense, whereas today I think these organized sports, they kind of take that opportunity away from the kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's kind of why we held off. I mean, it is you, you, you find your niche with your friends. And if you kind of get put into something in the beginning that your parents push you in and you don't, and you don't like it, you kind of get that impression that all of it's like that. And that's not how we want to do it. So once they, you know, you make them want it and, and kind of crave it and ask for it. And then once they start showing the interest in it, then you then you kind of give uh, lead them down that path. Yeah. OK, Melanie, please hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Oh, gosh. Um, that's a loaded question. That is, man. That's hard to answer. <laughs> I um, I basically manage Marcus's schedule and um, pretty much everything that he does from an umbrella standpoint. I don't do the day-to-day details, but I um, kind of operate as his manager. Um, I also am my family manager. I... I have a big family, um, my dad and my sisters, and I. we have a big ranch, and I manage all of that. So I have – I wear many, many, many hats. Okay, on top of managing everything that falls underneath my umbrella, not managing it, she's just the wife and she's the boss, and she's kind of over all the other managers. Not only that, she's a full-time – I mean, she's a, a, an amazing wife, a mother of three, she has five sisters. All of them are on their own path in college and kind of, and she does something with each one of them. On top of that, she runs the part of the family business, and, and that in itself is global, okay? And then she helps get uh, she's, uh, people elected into public office, including, you know, up to working on the president's campaign, congressman. I mean, she just, she she has multiple hats that, that um that she wears, and it's just, it's, it's almost impossible to put it all into uh, perspective. I like politics. I like local politics, and I do um, fundraising, and I just help with campaigns and stuff like that. Very cool. All right. I want to get your guys' perspective here because I talk about this all the time on the podcast. It feels like, to me at least, in this country, there's an attack on family life, on family values, through our pop culture, through the way uh, dads and family life is portrayed on TV and in the movies. Uh, So I think it's important for especially the young men, but just for, for the younger generation to hear from successful people, from well-known people, uh, you know, how good and how awesome fatherhood and family life truly is. So let me start with you here, Melanie. How did becoming a mom kind of change your perspective on life? Well, I became a mom at 19 years old. So I've been a mom my whole adult life, and I don't know anything other than that. Um, So I was a single mom for a long time, and that was obviously hard, but it it brings you really close to your child. So um, when I met Marcus, uh, I was very thankful that he embraced 
Hunter as his own and Hunter loves him um, like, like their blood. So it's, it's been a blessing for me. I know every family situation is not like that. Um, but our family dynamic has worked really well. Yeah, it's so cool that you were able to do that, Marcus, too, because there, there are so many kids growing up in this country without a father figure in their lives, and, and the stats are really stacked against them. Uh, there's definitely a fatherless uh, household problem in the country. But, uh, Marcus, you have been all around the world. You've been to hell and back. You've been through so many different evolutions in your life. How did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? It was the best thing ever. My brother and I always had an arrangement. For the first 40 years, we were married to the SEAL teams, to our country, and to everybody involved with that. And then at 40, we would retire, stop, and shift and go in a completely different direction, either go into whatever we want to do. If we, you know, kind of start looking for our wives, uh, I got lucky. I met Melanie on a blind date, and uh, I asked her, you know, I, she left that. I was like, that's the last time you'll ever leave anywhere without me. I showed up the next day at her house with everything I owned was in a bag. I walked in and never left. And, and I, the first time Hunter came walking out of his room, I remember looking down. I was like, I didn't even really know about him. I was like, what is, hey, what's up, buddy? Because that's a big deal to walk into another bull's pasture. Let's be real about that. But and I kind of knelt down. But, hey, look, this is going to go one of two ways, man. And it went, the, the, you know, the, the famous way. I, I, I still remember being a kid and growing up and what that was like and making those mistakes. And anything and everything that I learned in the SEAL teams was, is dedicated now to being a husband and a, a father. And making mistakes is part of it. And realizing that you made them is part of it, too, and that life is going to be difficult in any kind of capacity. And as a father, I have the ability, plus my background, to put pressure on my kids to see how they react in certain uh, situations. And then I have the ability to pull it off of them. And that in itself trains them because when you go out into the real life, I mean, you know, we train our kids to get dressed, you know, tend to brush our teeth and talk and everything like that. But most people won't train them to defend themselves. They won't train them what to look out for because they're scared of it themselves. And all our children are is the next version of us. I mean, it's the better version. You, you meet the woman in your dreams. You create something that's, that's twice as powerful as you ever were, and, but all the doors are shut. And as they go through life, it's just you going through life in, a, in, in the new version, and you kind of want to see where it goes and, and what, in what capacity you, you uh, maintain a little bit of your old self or if, if you're completely brand new. And as you go through life, you want to kind of train yourself in every situation so that when you do have the next version of yourself, you can be there trained. I would never beat up myself. I would never, you know, talk down to myself. And that's what our kids are. It's our next version. I mean, you got to look at them like that young version. And when you were young, you made mistakes. And, you you know, you still believe in magic. And that's that's part of it, too. And, and um, you know, we raise our kids with, with faith and, the, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and we, we love each other in every capacity. And when they make mistakes, I mean, the thing about our generation, Gen X, man, is we're just so hardcore that, you know, we're, we're like stunt parents, right? I mean, we see our kids do something, like, oh, that's cool, but check this out, right? I mean, we have, we have the X teams. Our, our warriors have been fighting for 20 years. You know, our women are Gen X. I mean, they're just, just hardcore. And, and our kids have this technology today, and all the video games and movies that they watch are basically our lives playing out in front of them. And, uh, you know, every time they get a chance to, to, to step into it, we're just like, no, we'll do it. You know, it's, and, and that's okay. I mean, it's, every generation is different. Our generation, I remember the things they said about us, it was bad. Same thing they say about the millennials, but that's what it's all about. You know? It's just uh, going through life and learning as much as you can so you can pass it down. Very well said, and I'm a faith-based person myself, so I love to hear you mention Christ in there. God is under attack in this country as well. Uh, let me ask you guys about discipline. Who is more of the disciplinarian in your home, and how do you guys kind of handle it? 
I think I'm more of the disciplinarian um, just because I've been doing it for so much longer. Um, I'm a spanker for sure. Uh, I don't beat, and I I have ground rules with my spanking. Um, I, I give warnings, and if they're third time is a charm, and uh, there's a spanking coming on that third time, I always spank on the behind, never anywhere else, you know, like I've got my structure of spanking and it seems to work. I agree with you, Melanie. And I, and I like what you said there too, because there is a major difference between spanking a child and beating a child. And I think up until a certain point, uh, you know, spanking is very effective. I don't uh, believe in screaming or yelling or humiliating when parents do that. It drives me absolutely crazy because it's counterproductive. It's that, that's just hurting the child. They think, oh, well, I'm not spanking him. I'm not touching him. Well, by by humiliating him or screaming at him in front of somebody, that's not helping them either. So I, I think one of our biggest problems today with, you know, kids just going crazy um, and there's lots of issues that are happening today that weren't happening when we were kids, but I think a huge part of it is the lack of discipline. And lack of structured discipline. Yeah, you make a great point there, Melanie. And, and as parents, it is difficult to watch our kids fail or to get hurt. And, but, I, I mean, I understand that failure is, is a part of growth. Uh, but this whole every kid gets a trophy philosophy, I think, does a lot more harm than it does good. So, I mean, how do you, uh, Marcus, how do you kind of respond when your kids fail or, or, or get hurt? And um, maybe a, a word about discipline as well. Well, look, man, the trophies at that age are a gift to your children because when you congratulate them with words, they don't understand that they still get presents. I mean, they, they, they see what's going on and they can hear you, but they don't understand it. And even when they're on their own, the way they learn their lessons and what really not to do is when they get, when they feel pain and you know, the butt has some extra padding back there to apply a little pressure. And if, if you don't, if you don't do that to them, okay. And if you don't, what do you want to keep them safe or secure? You want to hinder them, right? Because you're going to experience pain in life. And when you get out of sports and out of school, there are no more written tests. There are no more trophies. There's the good times and the bad times. And if, and if you're not paying attention to your good ones, your bad times are going to just light you up. And it's incumbent upon parents. I mean, who do you want to show it to them? All right, who do you want to discipline? The most dangerous thing on this planet is an undisciplined human mind. You just want a, you just want a grown-up baby, somebody who thinks they're still in seventh grade and deserve a present for every time they do something good? Or do you want to say, hey, look, man, uh, Look, right now you do something, and we're all we're, we're playing this event. We're going to give you a trophy to reward those who work the hardest. And as, as you progress in age and in life, those trophies go away, and it comes into diplomas, and then into money, and then into cars, and and everything that you know that we that we like to give ourselves. But if you put them in the mindset that all they have to do is compete or show up, then there's that only happens in a small percentage of of, of the world's population. So, I mean, if you just want them to live in that town for the rest of their life and be the, the kid who got the trophy in junior high or high school, well, that's cool, too. But the minute they step out of that and they go into reality, even if every kid around got a trophy growing up and then they get into the opportunity to where the trophy doesn't exist and it's just who does the best work, then it'll, it'll weed themselves out. So where do you want your kid to fall in that? Because it doesn't matter how much we protect them. Eventually, we're going to die or be gone, and they're going to move away. And if if they're not ready to handle a little pressure, like say, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't get first place, so I didn't get a trophy, and they don't have a meltdown, what are they going to do when they don't get a job or when they lose their job? I mean, you, we've actually done that to them. It's, you know, parents, it, it, we're the, 
we're the teachers. We have to do that. Everyone, that whole trophy, and I, you know, they'll just figure it out. They'll be good. You know, everything's fine. I don't want to mess with them. I don't want. To, I don't want. I don't want to hurt their feelings or hurt their life uh, because you know I'll just wait till they get out of the house and let that happen every day of their life. Well, that would be like giving an A to everyone who shows up at class. You don't. I mean, you're graded based off of your work. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Melanie. Uh, very well said. That's how you have to learn or else we turn into the society like we're turning into where so the children's suicide rate is so high right now that it's, it's scary. And, and you end up with people like uh, Ocasio-Cortez, I mean, that wants to give everybody everything without working for it. Like, you have to have – there's – life is a progression, and you have to learn how to, you know, to move through those ropes or else you're going to fail at life. I mean, anything that you receive in life that is free, somebody, I mean, somebody has to have, in order to, in order to receive anything, it has to be built, right? It has to be developed. And in order for that to happen, somebody has to do it. And they have to get paid to do it. Or, or they're, 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 I mean, that's just the way this kind of works, right? So, in, in any, oh, most, most importantly, anything you get free, you don't respect it at all. Period. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. And it, what happens eventually if you get undisciplined and then uneducated, then you become somebody else. Somebody else tells you how everything's supposed to be instead of being able to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, and I believe the only things that we do get for free in life are given to us by our Creator. We didn't do anything to earn the right to see or to hear or, or to taste. Uh, those are blessings that are given to us, and I think we need to be more thankful, more grateful for them. But everything else, we have to earn or create for ourselves in life, but definitely need to be more thankful for the blessings we get. Yeah. Well, that's how you know things are good. I mean, you, in order to I – mean, if you really want to know how good things are in the country, see what people are complaining about. And if it's food, water, shelter, somebody killing them, uh, no clothes, no education, you know, that kind of thing, then uh, everything else is, like I said, a blessing. Yeah, right on. Uh, All right, let me ask you guys about guns. It's always a hot-button issue. And and Hollywood, for some reason, who can't seem to make even a superhero movie without gun violence, usually has the biggest mouth in the conversation when it comes to gun control. But uh, let me start with you, Melanie. How do you feel about guns, gun safety, and what is a good age to introduce guns to kids? Well, I grew up around guns. I've been a hunter since I was a young girl. I grew up with a single dad, so I'm probably not the best person to ask on that because I'm biased. Um, But I was always taught as a child, as a young girl, to respect the gun. And my dad had guns around the house, but he taught me over and over and over to never touch the gun. And I didn't. And so when I had children, even before I met Marcus, I had guns in the home as a single mom, and I taught my son to never touch the gun, and he didn't. It's kind of like that, um, Taya Kyle and I have talked about this before, and when when you're kid, a kid and you've got, uh, your mom has a, a nice glass bowl on the dining room table, like a china or something, or a crystal bowl, and she says, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, and repeats herself so many times that you know you don't touch that damn bowl. And it's the same thing with a gun. If they're familiar with it and they know not to mess with it, and you also have to know your children and trust your children that, I mean, there are some kids that don't listen. 
So in that case, you have to always have your guns completely secure and never allow guns around your child. Or if you've got children that behave and that respect your word and you know that they won't mess up, then it's okay. Like I have a shotgun leaning up against my headboard. Now, there's not a shell in the chamber, can't go off. My safety is on. I have safety precautions around it. I'm not stupid, but it, it is visible. Now, I know for a fact my kids won't touch that gun because we have gone over it multiple, multiple, multiple times, and they don't do it. Um, and we've got video cameras in the room. So it's just one of those things that you have to teach gun safety before you have guns around. And it has to be something that's not forbidden and secretive where they're going to want to play around with the gun. Um, make it a common thing. Like Marcus, before his uh, taken his guns apart. Obviously, there's no ammunition in the guns or anything, but he's had Axe, you know, help him clean it. And so Axe is familiar. This is only something that you're around when Daddy's around. And, I mean, he's seven years old. So we're okay with that because it's a common subject in our family home. It's not the forbidden fruit, you know, that, that yeah, they can't touch. Exactly. And, and with that being said, man, if they're old enough to, to, to pick something up and to understand, to, to manipulate it, then that's, they're old enough to start, you know, teaching them with that. And it's basically like sex, okay? I mean, it, you teach our kids everything there is about sex, what kind of kids are going to come out of it. I and mean, there ain't nothing more dangerous than a loaded uh, teenage boy, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, look, I don't teach snakes and, 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 and all these dangerous things. I don't keep them around the house, but they're around, okay? So in order for my kids to survive out in the world, I train them in every capacity. And because we do keep firearms here, I do train them in, in look, Navy SEALs, the most important thing in our life is safety, all right? I can manipulate that thing as well as we can because of how safe we are with it. And then if, anywhere and everywhere your kid goes, if there's something out there that they're going to run into and you don't train them for it, somebody else will, okay? And if everybody in the room around is kids and they see a gun and they're all trained that they're not supposed to touch it, then they won't, all right? And if you, if you tra- any, and anything and everything that they're going to run into in life, if you do not prepare them for it, somebody else will. And, if, and, and that's a lot of times how the most, when most kids get hurt, it's because they haven't had gun safety, okay? Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. our police use it. We, we use it for, I mean, as we progress as a society, we get more sophisticated in the cities. Something that used to be commonplace becomes, well, we don't do it here, and then we don't talk about it here, and now it's just forbidden. And that's kind of how it is with firearms. Uh, you know, even out in the country, we have them around because not, we don't use them for safety, but we use them for hunting, for, for food, for protection, uh, for, for animals, to protect our own animals, you know, all across the board. I mean, and, and it's, it's one of those deals where this country is protected by all of that, and I know people hate to hear that, and I'm, I'm all about gun safety because I have gun safety running out of my ears, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I really do, and I mean, it's just, um, it's, it should be in the capacity that you teach your kids about dangerous things or things that they will encounter in life as they progress. One being, you know, we teach you how to dress and go to school. Then as you uh, down the line, we'll teach you how to drive. And then we'll teach you, how, you know, hey, when you start going through puberty, you guys are going to be chasing each other like crazy, okay? Here's the safety precautions you use in case you run into a loaded teenage boy, okay, or vice versa. You know, your teenager, you're like, hey, man, I need you to settle down. You, 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 this is what's going to be happening, these hormones, blah, blah, blah. And it's all the, the variables that run into each individual is the same capacity when you run into a, 
somebody who's not trained with a weapon system in, uh, in the house or out of it. First of all, you can't blame anybody who blames an inanimate object for something. I mean, if you literally are persecuting an inanimate object that can't activate itself without a human being behind it, then you don't want to look at the, what's really going on. Okay, that, no weapon can hurt anybody unless somebody's behind it. And that goes back to when your kids need to be disciplined. And, I mean, that, and that, that stems like if you don't do it, then if there is no – if no one disciplines them, then you're going to have around a bunch of undisciplined adults, and then who knows how to run anything? Well, you know, my dad used to say this back in the day. Maybe that would work. Or, you know, I mean, or it's like, hey, I did this, actually. You know, and I, I mean, I know it's old hat, but I still teach my kids how to find, you know, start fire, build a tent, and, you know, in any case, you know, change a tire, anything and everything that they have would have to do like we had to do before tech. That's the beautiful part about our generation, man, is we're a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. So we're the kind of last generation we can teach that old school stuff, you know, basic survival skills without without a, without a battery. Any, anything with a battery can shut down. I think the biggest, the short answer to that is gun safety. Gun safety, gun safety, gun safety. Always talk about it. Always be open about it. Hey, and I know people, and I love them very much, but they don't have anything to do with it. They don't want to touch that. And I'm like, hey, good. We need people like that, too, because there's people like me who have to use it to protect you, okay? And then my children will be trained and understand what their father did. I wouldn't keep that from them. I mean, because then that would make me look like somebody bad. Why do I love it? If dad did it and it's bad, then he must be bad. Well, that's not, that's not it. I was using it to protect everybody else, man. It's just pe- bad people do bad things with that. It's, it boils down to that sin you carry. I mean, if you have wrath inside of you like I do, you can either use that wrath to protect people from wrath or you can become wrath and hurt people with it. And yeah. it has that a sin inside of us, man. And if you, if you get into it and manipulate, or not manipulate, but if you abuse it, then, man, you're going down the bad road. But if you understand what you are in the beginning and you have people around you who have already been through that gauntlet, then they can walk you through it, and that's what you're doing. We're walking you through life, man. I'm like, I'm not teaching you to use a gun in a bad way. I'm teaching you gun safety in case somebody bad gets a hold of this thing. Yeah, I have a perfect example, and I don't want to, you know, harp on the gun subject, but my mom brother was nine years old at a friend's house, where the friend was not, they never talked about guns. The dad uh, left a gun out and a rifle out, and the kids were in the house by themselves, and the little kid grabbed the gun and accidentally shot my mom's brother. Wow. He was nine years old, and he died. And it's absolutely terrible it's a terrible situation this kid was curious he he surely didn't mean to kill his best friend um but the parents never talked to him about the gun it was just something that was forbidden you know don't don't touch it dad's gun you know that kind of mentality not teaching the safety mechanisms and the consequences and everything of a gun now, my mom, as a grown woman, is ter- she grew up terrified of guns. So a few years ago, we were talking, and she said she went out and bought her first handgun for, for home protection. And I flipped out because I knew that my mom has never had any gun safety training. And I said, Mom, do you know how to shoot the gun? She said, no. And I said, well, then... Having a gun in your home is worse 
than ha- than not having it and someone coming in because you're not going to know what to do with it. You can shoot yourself, shoot a family member, or the person breaking into your home is going to end up grabbing it from you and shooting you with it. You cannot have a gun in your home if you are not a hundred percent comfortable with that gun and all of the safety that goes around it. And that I'm very, very big on that is just gun safety through and through. If you're going to go get a gun and you don't have a Navy SEAL as a husband or, you know, someone in the military in your family or whatever, a big hunter in the family, go get lessons. Go, I, teach, I host a women's shooting camp every year, and it's all about gun safety. And I'm just a huge advocate on that, that you don't, not everyone needs a gun. If you're not comfortable with it, don't have it. Or if you want to get comfortable with it, go take lessons before you buy one. All right. And, and here's the biggest thing with that. All right. And everybody throws this over on us because we carry guns. Look, any, any responsible hunter I know, anybody who I hang out with, anybody and everybody I run around, hunters, I mean, we all have the safety classes, and they all t- we all make us take each other's safety classes so that we'll know that we're safe. I, the people who are like, you don't need a safety class, you just go get me. Those are, man, those do not speak for all of us. Okay? Yeah, those, to- <laughs> those are the people you don't want to go with. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know who's – I mean, when I hear that, when people throw that on us, I'm like, well, you don't want gun laws? I'm like, who the hell says that? I mean, I, I have to go through so much gun training, and, I mean, I still have to do it. And any time I purchase a weapon, I have to go through the whole gambit of it, and I should. Just, yeah, I mean, what, I mean, I, because of how I'm trained, you need to know what, what you know, and, and, if, and if you're going to keep a log of how well I'm trained, why would you not keep a log of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing? And, uh, you know, the, don't, don't pay attention to people trying to stir up all that crap saying that we hate each other because of our color and everything. Man, our generation, gen, man, we, that's gone at all, man. I mean, we, we, we had to grow up and fight a war for 20 years with each other, all right? So you can't tell me that we can't come together and that we can't make things work. It's the people who walk up and say, well, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't even care what you have to say. Those people need to get pushed and in, in, in either figure something out or get away from the collective uh, of the rest of us because we're trying to make this thing work. It's Boil it down, man. We're a family. There's no ruling parties in America. The best part about our country is you can be born with no last name, no nothing, and still become a king. All right, we don't call it that. We call it president. You can become a king of the most powerful nation and wield the most powerful sword the earth has ever known, okay, and be a nobody, a literal nobody. And we switch that, and then everybody underneath the president, I mean, look at our aunts, uncles, and then look at our sports franchises as the counts and dukes and duchesses and stuff like that. It's a family environment. You have to treat it that way all the way down to our kids and train them what they're going to run into in the house. Yeah, I agree with you guys. You make some great points. I try to stay away from the political aspects of all this stuff because there, there's so much hatred and so much anger involved with all of it. Uh, I think as fathers, as parents, we all want the same thing for our kids. We want them to be happy. We want them to have some success. And I think if we just step back and look at the big picture here, we would quickly realize that we're, we're all after the same thing here and we all have a lot more in common than we ever knew. Oh, well, let me tell you something. That's the greatest part about Melly and I's life is the people that we interact with, and it's all across the board. So, I mean, I truly know that everybody can get along with everybody because I get along with the people famously who, who, who are always throwing jabs at each other, and it's just a bickering thing. If you boil it down to it, man, it's just a bicker. It's literally a bickering thing. We could, if we could cover, we could figure anything out together, right? And it's kind of we we stall ourselves because we like to argue back and forth. 
And it, and it all goes around, man, where we were raised and kind of how we're brought up. I mean, when I first time I went to New York, I thought everyone was yelling at me. I didn't know that that's actually <laughs> how they talk and communicate, and that's, they, that's how they show their love. You know, down south, man, we just, it's kind of just different, man. And once you figure that out, man, New York City, man, those people are magnificent. I mean, I have so many friends up. I love those people more than anything. You can't tell me that we can't. I've been in every state, every city, every just visiting town to town, talking to any and everybody I could to, just to see for myself, man. And I've made friends all over this place. And I talk to them on a regular basis, man, even the ones that don't get along on TV. And I just sit back and I'd be like, man, if you guys knew how much you had in common, you, you kind of squash all this and you figure out which, which side is what and then cut it down because you can't be happy all the time. That's not how life works anyways, man. And, you know, the younger generations are always complaining. That's what younger generations do. Older generations are setting their ways, so they're setting their ways. And the in-between, we, we kind of make everything work. And at no point in time should we ever hate each other, uh, draw an arm to each other, or you know, hurt each other in any capacity. I mean, just think about it. I mean, we're one, if we're one big family, if you, you send your kids out next door, man, and tell me, I mean, you, you want to know that they run into people who would care for them as much as you do, not hurt them because they, they didn't know something that you knew at a given time and thought a certain way. I mean, information goes by so fast, man. Literally, two kids, you get educated in two different things in a matter of a second just because of what they're looking at on their phone, man. And you, you just got to take a step back and just like, hey, whoa, man, take a breath, man. You guys are arguing about some dumb stuff. I mean, we all, all of us sitting back at our homes watching the TV, when you look at it, man, like, man, you guys are just arguing over dumb stuff. I can't even believe that three people on this planet, in our country have, this, have our government shut down. Three people have our government shut down. That is unbelievable to me. Yeah, and I have faith that the light will overcome the darkness here. And with this technology now, you can learn new skills quicker. You can educate yourself in almost any subject. Uh, the problem is, is that there is so much poison available through these smartphones and these devices, which can really do significant damage to a young mindset. So how do you guys kind of handle technology time or video game time with your kids? We allow our kids to play video games. We limit the time that they spend on it. And obviously, they can't play you know, every game. Um, as far as phones, Axe has an old iPhone that's disabled. Uh, the Wi-Fi is disabled. He can just play games on it when he's at home or if we go to a restaurant or something, but he can't carry it to school or anything like that. Um, it's usually for plane rides, traveling, that kind of stuff. But it's basically like an iPad in the shape of an iPhone because it's disabled. I mean, think about it. It's got, look, same same way with us. It's, it, it was, it's a reward to have that stuff. We're blessed we have land and we have a lot of stuff to do. Like, we have to work out here. So they they, they have access to that. And 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 if you keep that stuff from them, then then they're going to be behind. And and then their, their friends, they're going to be talking about with their friends, right? they got to play. you got to – I mean, that's that's what kids do these days. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to give my kid. I'm like, well, what are you going to give them then? Because that's what – you know, that's how it – that's how this thing's working. Everything in moderation, and that, that's the way it applies to everything. You see them getting burned out on something, and you take it away from them. And, did you, and that's the way it was with us. If we, if they, if we messed up. They took away our, our car keys. Before that, it was whatever it is we had, right? And every generation is different, but just everything around us is different. The training aspect of it, like on, in the, it should be the same. Like, i got to discipline my kid. i got to watch out for him because there's predators out there at any given time to snatch in there. And the minute I, I don't think that that can happen, I'm probably um, I'm not doing my my uh, kids justice, right? I'm, I'm I'm doing a disservice to them. As a matter of fact, how I got to learn got to know Hunter is I went and bought a video game for the first time ever. I didn't I hadn't played since Nintendo, right? Since we were kids, 
with uh, Super Mario, which is a fantastic <laughs> game, by the way. And uh, uh, I went upstairs, and we started playing. And Mel, I'll never forget this. Melly came walking up. She's like, have you guys been up here this whole time? I was like, yeah, why? What happened? She's like, you've been up here for nine hours. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, we, I just got sucked into these games. are amazing. I mean, they're like three-dimensional. It's not like the stuff was just a sideways screen look. You know, yeah. Or some crap like that. I mean, bro. You, I can see how you can get into it, because I, I did. And so for the holidays, every time I come up to college, we play this game uh, together. All the boys go in there, and we just kind of hash it out. It, it, it's fun, man. It's a reward. So if it, and that's how you turn it into, man. If, you, if they spend too much time on it, then, it, then they won't appreciate it, and they get burned out. So, I, and I, I mean, and this is the part that baffles me. Like, what, when the parents are like, no, you can't play with that, and they start complaining, and like, you get your feelings hurt. I'm like, oh. So that's it. That, that's why you let them go back and burn out on that game is just because you got your feelings. You're a grown ass, you know, you're a human adult parent. Okay, I know what they want to hear, and it, you know, then you need to just think about that. All right, just think about it. And the best part about it is when you when you actually hear your parent, your father or your mother in your head while you're saying that. I was like, now nah, I know why they said that, and they said that I would say this when I said this. You know that kind of thing. And it's just it's hilarious. I mean, and. And never forget that. Like, hey, you're at an age in your life where you have to take the responsibility. They're at the age in their life when they're screwing up. And if you if you if you don't, it's basically like climbing the corporate ladder, and then you get to your job and you don't want to do it. Like the CEO, right, or the boss. Like, nah, I'm just gonna let the kids figure out how to run a company. They'll be all right. <laughs> no other environment does that does, will that be applicable or be even, you know, no one would stand for that. But you're gonna do it in your home with your kids. Oh, come on, man. Think about it. Yeah, listen, hey, we use that Fortnite as a form of currency in this house. That that, that game has taken over. Right. Our uh, seven-year-old loves Fortnite. And it's, I mean, he truly enjoys playing. So why take something away that's pure joy for him? We don't make him, we don't let him play it all the time. Hey, look, man, I, I watch him and I watch them and the hand-eye coordination with all the buttons and how fast they're working. I mean, and you can read a book and, and but it, I was kind. Of, I learned if I'm reading a book, I'm just reading it. But if I could see it and use my hands in it and build something, and and and, and I mean that's working the mind. But just like with anything, you wouldn't sit there and read a book forever and ever and ever. You take a break, right? And as kids, they don't have that break in them yet. They don't understand that part. So, you know, be a parent. I mean, be a parent. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Okay, Marcus, one thing I have to ask you, I listened to that 911 tape of you chasing the guy that shot your dog. I couldn't believe how calm you sounded throughout that entire high-speed chase. Uh, do you have that same kind of calmness when you're driving like a long-distance ride with the kids and they start driving you crazy? Because that that's a tough one for a lot of parents. Let me say something. After everything that I've been through, I mean, I, I learned lessons from my good and my bad. Like a bad, a bad, something bad that happens to me doesn't hurt me mentally i take i take from it and uh i mean if you see me freaking out if some kids could freak me out after everything that i've been through then I mean, come on so i mean i i that that was the beautiful thing about what i did for a living and everything that i had to go through is is i don't get freaked out when they're you know when they bust and they're bleeding or or something happens like when Melanie, everybody comes up to me i that as not only as the, the parent the father and everything that i've been through i mean i i keep the the calm. I keep the peace around here. That's my job. I do all my all I do around here is protection and enforcement. Melly runs the show, man. I do what I'm told, and I protect and enforce everything. And then anything in between, I and mean, if you know if it makes it past Melly and it makes it to me, then I handle it. And that's it. That's probably one of my best qualities too: is remaining calm. Things don't rile me up. So car rides aren't hard for us because 
we're both really chill. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, we're in the new year here. What type of uh, goals or plans do you guys have uh, coming up for this year and, and, and for the future? I'm trying to go keto hard. <laughs> And this family's not 100% on board. Um, <laughs> we'll get it done. I would try to, you know, make sure that we live every single day like it was, uh, like we wouldn't get it back. Um, we, I mean, we we literally cherish every day around here and have the best time from sun up to sun down. And uh, even, even the hard times that we go through, we go through them together. And uh, each year is just a blessing. I turned 40 this year, so it's a rough one for me. Okay, yeah, I'm only a couple of years from 40 myself, so um, I hear you on that. Uh, All right, last thing I'm going to hit you guys with here, I'd love to ask all the parents that I have on the podcast. Let me begin with you, Melanie. What type of advice could you give to that new mom or to that about-to-be parent who's out there listening? Um, My advice to new parents is to stay calm. (laughs) There's going to be things that freak you out. I was a new parent at a very young age, and I... I reacted on emotion and not out of uh, practicality, I guess. So, and take advice from other parents. I mean, I remember being 19 years old and not, you know, when I would lay Hunter down to go to sleep and as soon as he hit the crib, he'd start crying. So I'd take him back up and I felt like I couldn't put him back down. So he was going to start crying. So I didn't sleep at all because I was walking around rocking a baby, um, where when I was older, I learned you put the baby down and you walk out of the room. So what if they cry? It's going to be okay. And it just took a 13 year gap for me to learn that. But, um, take advice from other parents, stay calm. Your baby's going to be fine and stick together as parents and always help each other out. Great advice. Uh, Marcus. Oh yeah. No, I mean, one of my favorite commercials I've seen is when the, uh, you got the, the, the young the couple and they're like, hey, we got 20 minutes. You want to go? And so they go into the bedroom to fool around. And then after the baby, they've had a couple of kids. They're like, hey, we got 20 minutes. You want to go? And the dude's got the CPAC machine on, passed it on top of the covers, and she's she's passed out too because they're so worn out from having the kids, right? I mean, everything literally changes in that moment. And never forget, babies are tough. They're resilient. I, I, I remember when we had access. I walked in the house with, I'll never forget this. I had him in that carrier. I didn't even know how to put him in the baby seat. I mean, I, and I looked at Melanie, she was walking upstairs. She, she just, just, I watched her give birth to my children. I was like, women are the toughest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, man. And I know pain. And, and I was sitting there with him and I was like, all right, buddy, we're going to get through this together, man. And I remember I would clean everything. I mean, just crazy. And then put it in the microwave, make sure it's sterilized. And plant for the second kid, third kid, people just like, it falls on the ground, take it off. Spit on it, put it in their mouth, like, hey, die. And I've never run across a parent that didn't, didn't, it's a progression. And no matter what seasoned parents tell a new parent, you are still going to default to your own parenting regulations of what you see and what you learn. It is trial and error, okay? It, it truly is, man. And no matter what, as the, as the father, realize that that woman, what she just went through and carried that baby and, and did all that, man. So I had diaper duty, whatever, you know, whatever I could do, man. I, I, and this, the sleepless nights, yeah, those exist, man. Just get used to them. I mean, you'll get into the zone, kind of going through hell. He man. says that, but he also told me that he was going to have night duty because he doesn't sleep well at night. And the first night we were home. All right, this happened one time, okay? I'll... Oh, no. It happened every night. The first <laughs> night that we were home. 
the first time Axe started crying, I look over at Marcus, and his eyes immediately shut tight. <laughs> and I'm like, that? Sorry. Uh, okay, okay, so at that age, man, the guy always, you know. He pretended to be sleeping. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> kid's hungry. I can't really help you with that, okay? That's what the mother can't He can't pretended to be sleeping. He could have rubbed my back while I was feeding him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I love that because we always had a rule in our house when they were babies, uh, you know, if you wake them, you shake them. You know, you got to get them back to sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like finding the, uh, you know, the dog mess on the ground. Whoever finds it, you got to clean it up, you got the baby up. <laughs> but, hey, uh, I mean, just know that as a, you know, people have been doing parenting stuff and being been parents since the beginning, okay, and before they had hospitals and, and all that stuff, and just have a great time with it, and it does go by fast. I, I noticed that man, and that before, and they are so much. I mean, when they get to that age, like six and seven, when they look at, and they get their own pers- personality. That's when you figure out when you're not cool anymore. As soon as your kids know the difference between cool and uncool, you're not cool anymore, and you're old and busted and all that stuff. And that's that's a great. It, that actually has to happen for you to go through the transitional period of being able to enforce the rules on your kids. Because in the beginning, you're like, you know, they think, you know, you're cool and they want to hang out. And then as soon as they go, hey, you're not cool, then they're like, oh, check this out. If I'm not cool, check out this rule and this new chore, all right? I'll, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, you're gonna, I'll, I'll act like a parent if I have to. And then, you know, ask around. Ask for advice. And don't ever be ashamed or to not know anything. And don't ever be embarrassed to, to adopt something that somebody else did, does, you know, for their and, – and don't be ashamed to ask for help, for babysitting, from family or whatever I've truly believe that a mother's sanity is through breaks and I see a lot of new moms that feel guilty for going to get their hair done or leaving the baby to go to the grocery store by herself. Moms need that. Take breaks. Get away by yourself. Yeah, that's why you keep your family around. That's why, you you know, your mother and your grandparents, and they, that, I mean, you keep all of them around close to you and they're a wealth of knowledge and they love watching the kids so you can have the break and I mean, we, we keep everybody around us at any given time, you know. I mean, and they pass their kids off to us, and it just kind of works. And then the kids hang out together, and they're, they're being raised together as a family. And they just, it's a, you know, it's a wealth of knowledge for them in, in itself. Yeah, very well said. I love the advice. This has truly been an honor for me, guys. So I have to say thank you so much, Melanie and Marcus Luttrell, for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks. Oh, great. Yeah, you appreciate it, brother. Thanks, man. All right. I'll be right back after a quick spot. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I really hope you enjoyed my third collection of Navy SEAL interviews. I am truly humbled and honored to have been able to spend just a little bit of time with all of these amazing men and first class fathers and lock it into First Class Fatherhood because there are more Navy SEAL interviews in the future coming up real soon as long as many other guests who are first class fathers from all spectrums of life. Keep it locked in. Thank you for your support. Thank you for tuning in today. That's all I got for you here. I'm Alec Lace. You've been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Mm